Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. Today, we have Ashley Morgan. Ashley Morgan is an interior designer based in Los Angeles, California, who has had a very tumultuous journey to find her recovery, to say the least. Ashley moved around Europe and Asia a lot as a child, following her father's career in finance until she landed back in LA, where she spent the majority of her childhood. She found drugs and alcohol at a very young age, only to discover that her illness would progress quickly. After being in and out of 13 different treatment centers and hospitals, Ashley finally came to the realization that she wanted to live. And the only way to do that was by a complete lifestyle change, and most importantly, being completely honest with herself. Ashley now has the privilege of owning a business and has worked hard to repair relationships with her family and friends over the years. As you'll hear in her story, an integral part of her getting and staying sober has been working the steps along with the incredible support system she has surrounding her. All right, episode 38, let's do this. Ashley, welcome to my podcast booth. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So fun. (laughs) Are you totally nervous? I did. I wasn't. And then all of a sudden I just got super nervous (laughs) because you're looking at me weird. Okay. Sorry. I won't look at you. I'll stare at the Once I start talking. Okay. So, um, Ashley, you are here. You are one of my best friends in the whole wide world. And I love you. And thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. Um, This is so exciting. I know. The booth. This is... This is our, our booth. I love it. It's very cozy in here. Yeah. <laughs> like I want to take a nap. Yeah. Well, not yet. I just always want to take a yeah, nap. Yeah, always everywhere. just to, like generally, what I generally do, yeah. want to take a nap. <laughs> always tired. So, okay, how long How long are you sober? 12 and a half years. Wait, what? Yeah. August 4th, 2007. So oh my God. just at 12 and a half, which is so weird, isn't it? Did you, how old were you when you got sober? A week before my 19th birthday. Before your 19th yeah, birthday. Yeah, I okay. spent my 19th birthday in a treatment center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm. <laughs> Not thrilled. I spent, let's see, I spent eight, uh, eight, 16, 17, no, not 16, 17, 18. 17. I mean, I spent a lot of other yeah, years yeah, yeah, too, but yeah, the last, the, the, the last. final, yeah, yeah, yeah. the final one. I'm trying to think of treatment birthdays. It was exactly. Did they give you like one of those like really botched cakes? No, no. Oh, no. This was, was there just, was no cakes. No, there was no cakes. I was seven days sober. So I got sober exactly a week before my birthday. And I woke up being like, hey, I'm ready to go home now. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, no, that's not, it's not, not a thing, which is a, a total yeah. pattern in my, yeah. in my using and in my, um, in my trying to get sober, specifically this last time where I would make a mess and then try and clean it up for like a day or two. Right. 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 And, right. you know, my poor father would pay for this like 30 day treatment. Mm-hmm. And after sleeping it off for a few days mm-hmm. and then giving me medication to detox, <laughs> yeah. um, I'd wake up and be like, well, I'm okay. Yeah. Like, go. We're and they're like, good. yeah, no, that's not a thing. Like this is a 30 day program. And I'm like, no, it's cool. Keep the money. We're good. And mind you, it's not my money. Um, it's a lot of money and it happened numerous times. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that that last time at that, you know, 
I think it was good that there was a birthday there. Just yeah. Like, I, I remember like, that. Yeah, you, were, you know, right. I remember it. And I mean, I still have friends from that place that I talk yeah. to regularly. And I think if it wasn't for them, you know, a, a yeah. rehab relationship oh. Oh, yeah. is like, you know, it's a you can be best bond. friends within two hours and it feels like you've known somebody for years when really you met them a week ago. So I think that's what kind of kept me there for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, those are life changing bonds. hundred percent. Um, so where did you grow up? I grew up in L.A. My mom is from L.A. Where in L.A.? Uh, like Hancock Park. Okay. Um, and my dad was an army brat and then kind of ended up in San Diego as a teenager. Okay. And then grew up there. And uh, and I was not born in L.A. I was born in New York, but that's because my parents were both living there when I was born. And then we moved like all over Europe and Asia and then came Why? back to my dad's job. He was in finance, so... We kind of kept bouncing around and then moved back to L.A. Uh, How old were you when you moved back? I think like, I think it was three okay. because six months later my sister was born. Okay. Um, and I'm three and a half years older than she is. And uh, when at some point in those travels we lived in France and I spoke French. And um, so they put us in a French, they put me in a French school in L.A. because they didn't want me to lose the language. And also it was one of those schools that have campuses all over the world. Mm-hmm. And if we, God forbid, we had to move again, right, right, could, right. it's the same curriculum. So like I could on Monday leave LA and Tuesday go to school in London and it would be all the same thing. So we didn't end up moving again. Um, my parents divorced shortly after that, shortly after my sister was born. Um, they div- so you're, so you were like four? I was four. Yeah. When they, div- yeah. and do you remember? It's so funny. I, you know, yes and no. I remember fighting. I remember like, you know, and then I remember my dad right after they divorced, I guess they had, I think they had bought a house here, um, like in Studio City um, or like Toluca Lake. And uh, because my grandparents had bought a house in Toluca Lake, which is like kind of by Universal City. My grandpa, my grandparents lived there. So my mom, we bought a house there and then they divorced and my mom moved into like a condo nearby. And then my dad got an apartment and my dad right at that time took a job in New York again. Mm. So he moved back to New York. But when he, you were four. Yeah. But he came back, I think around that, like, yeah, 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 right yeah around ish. The, and then he would come back every other weekend to have his weekends with us. So, you know, and then it went like that. I, what I do know is that for many, 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 many years after they divorced, it was a fight. And there was a horrible custody battle for many, I mean, until, until the point where I must have been 16 or 17, they were still fighting over my sister. But at that point, I had made such a mess and I was heavily into my addiction. And they were, I think it says somewhere in court papers, like, forget about Ashley. We don't even need to worry about her anymore. <laughs> like, I was like, I, like, they had written me off. They, like, didn't want to oh deal with God. it. So, yeah, a lot of fighting, a lot of chaos, a lot of... Um, so, uh, let me, okay, so let's, so... You are four. They divorce. Are you at the French school? How long yeah. did you stay at the French school? From kindergarten to the beginning of eighth grade. So you speak, uh, like do you after speak grade. French fluently? Yeah. And then at that time, so the fighting, like the fighting that you remember, the custody battle, right. what, like, after, like in your early years, like you, when right. you were like seven, eight, nine, ten, around and those times, like, what did the custody battle look like? What does that? What is I mean, the I think because my like? dad had moved away, like was primarily living in New York, and like I said, I mean that's a lot to come back every other weekend. That's like oh, you know yeah. now as an adult, I see the dedication that that right, takes. But right. at the time, I was very confused, and you know my dad is a very if he ever hears this, I don't want to. <laughs> we have a much better relationship now, so I think I would. But I think growing up, I saw him as 
Um, you know, his father was in the military, so there was this very kind of strictness yeah. there, um, and and not one to talk about feelings, not one to to ask us how we're feeling, and not because he didn't care, but he just I don't. Yeah. Now I see it as he didn't know how to do that, but kind of a more you know res- much more reserved person, very strict. There were consequences for everything, and then there was my mom, who was like this, you know, I don't know, f- like very kind of social, very loud, very, a lot of oversharing. And so I think I, I didn't realize it, but at the time she made me her best friend, right? I'm the oldest of two. And instead of being like the mother that wants to protect the kids from, my sister was, I think a bit more sheltered by it, Mm -hmm. like from it. I don't know that I mean, it it showed up in her life yeah. also, but it was we just had a different relationship with with her. with her. Yeah, and I became kind of the best friend, and which you know obviously forces you to grow up really quickly. And I was, things were being shared with me that probably shouldn't have been shared about you know about details about what happens in court. And right. um, I do remember them making us go to a, a therapist, and uh, for years we had to go to therapists, and and you know it was the time, and I'm sure we'll get to that, but. I went until I think I was about until it was before I started using. Okay. Um, because in the beginning, I guess to answer your question, it was like shared custody, right? Everything right. was, and then over time they started using us as like a pawn, right? And so the 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 what does that look like? Uh, like the the physical and legal custody would constantly change. Whoever won in court at that time. So, you know, it started with my mom would get the majority, you know, physical custody. I think they always had 50-50 legal. And then, and then my mom would be erratic and do crazy things. My dad would take her back to court. And, um, and then he, at some point, I can't remember what age, got 100% or majority percent custody of us, physical and legal. And, you know, there were, there were periods where we were going back and forth every other day from each other's houses. And, you know, we always had nannies who picked us up from school. And, you know, it's a lot for a kid now thinking about it. You have to like bring your clothes with you to school, right? So you have an extra bag, you have a backpack, right, and then right. you have like a clothes bag to go right. spend the night at whatever parent's house. And and part of it was fine. I, I played sports and I was, you know, very busy, but it was definitely very chaotic, very hectic. And, you know, anytime my dad would do something to my mom that she didn't like, she would share it with us. And, you know, now as an adult, my mom ultimately ended up being diagnosed with like mental illness. And, um, at the time I didn't know that. And there was always like kind of something off, but she was like a socialite and, you know, looked like a Barbie doll. And so she hid it for a long time. She, um, she was a very accomplished interior designer, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the LA area. But that didn't happen till later. Okay. okay. Um, you know, I think she, she was more around when we were younger. And what is like, now we know it was mental right. illness. What did her mental illness look like then that you didn't know that's what um, it was? That's a really good question. I guess I haven't stopped to think about that. I'm not a doctor, yeah. but I feel like there was a lot of like narcissistic personality disorder traits, everything happening to her all the time. And, you know, lots of really close relationships and then big fallouts a lot, right? So there was not a lot of stability. There was not a lot of, um, you know, if she had an emotion, she was sharing it with us um, or taking it out on us. Okay. And then like, what were you like, oh, my mom just has a lot going on. Like, what did you think of her? I don't know. I think I I enjoyed the role of best friend for a long time until, until it started backfiring on me, until I was a teenager and, you know, started using. And then she all of a sudden tried to be a parent again. And I was like, wait a second, what? But extremely, she was, my dad was very controlling in his own way. My dad was very militant. He was very, again, never spoke about feelings. Right. Um, None of that. Very, 
um, didn't really speak about much, actually. Always was wondering what he was thinking, mm. you know, like one yeah. of those that was yeah. always quiet, never overshared about custody stuff. Always, I joke that when he gave me the sex talk, he came in, he had read a book about how to have, it literally was called like how to have this talk right, with right, your right. kids and took notes on his yellow legal pad and came into my room one night and was like, we have to talk and l- proceeded to talk to me about sex. And I was like, I still remember where I was sitting. <laughs> um, and now anytime I see a, everyone who knows, like I see a yellow legal pad, I'm like, oh no, somebody's having a talk with me. <laughs> like I'm scarred by these legal pads because everything, but he, he was methodical and, and well thought out. I, I like to joke with him that like you ask him what the color of the sky is and he'll tell you I have to sleep on it and get back to you. Right. Like he doesn't just, my mom just would say whatever was going right, on and right. my dad was definitely much more well thought out, much more logical. And, and you know, and then if he made a decision about something, that was it because he had thought it through. through right. Whereas my mom was so erratic, always acting on emotion. So it was just this kind of like you know, Polar going opposite. back oh, completely, going back and forth from these two situations on a regular basis. You're just like, you don't know how to be, I guess. Did you, did you and your sister commiserate over, like, did it bond you? Like, did it bond you? I would think it would bond you. You know, if you ask her now, I think we had completely different experiences. Yeah, I don't, the other thing I, sh- I need to note is I don't remember. Yeah. The majority of my childhood, like pre-using, pre-all of that, like I, there was a, a huge blockage. Normal for trauma. Yeah. And, and you know, there's times where I call her and I'm like, hey, I just had this memory. Is this real or not? And she does the same thing with me. Like, I don't know. And, and a lot. And also the way I remembered things, obviously, when they're explained back to me, whether from an, an adult that knew me at the time or whatever, was completely different. Like, yeah, you know, I, I remember being very in my head and very, you know, the head being very loud. But I also remember myself kind of like only internalizing that and as much as I was social, but I was like the top most talkative person. Every report card was like smart, talkative in all, you know, uppercase <laughs> red letters, like T would dot, get sent out A of class dot. every single day. Like, and I remember that, but I also remember the, the inner dialogue yeah. and somehow in my memories that, that, um, wins. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, yeah. I tell my, you know, if I, if I don't correct myself, I, I'm like, Oh, I was just this like quiet overthinking right, kid, right, right. which I was an overthinking kid. I was just super loud on top <laughs> of it. So it was like chaos. And then my sister, my sister was much more emotional than I was much more outwardly emotional. So she was a huge crier. She was very mm-hmm. much, much better about talking about how she Definitely was feeling. Not you. <laughs> no, I was like, yeah. like, you know, Fort yeah. Knox for me. And cause I didn't trust that my feelings would either be taken seriously or that they mattered or, and you know, this is not anything that I knew in the moment, but yeah, you know, being able to look back on it and some of what I'm saying right now is literally coming to me in the moment, but, but no, there was no room for it. I felt like, you know, they were so busy fighting each other that there was no room to have a feeling about it. Did you think like, did you think to yourself, they're fighting like to, or at least in the beginning, like, oh, they're fighting to spend time with us. Like how is, you know, for kids who go through and, you know, you know, I'm grateful I haven't been through this. Kids who go through custody battles, like right. you're fighting, like I picture me, like you're fighting for your kid, right? Totally. But like, that's not the experience for the kid, right? No. And I think or as what much as, think? you know, you uh, being an adult gives you a different perspective, totally. right? And you know, life is really hard. And then to have kids and then be going through a divorce and then right. fighting with the kids. But what I, and I, I said this, I figured, I, I feel like this thought came to me. It's, at some point in sobriety that like they 
just wanted to fight more than they loved us. That doesn't mean they didn't love us. Right, right. They were just kind of almost addicted to the fighting and the winning of that. Right. And, and in my case, money equaled power. Um, and so they were constantly fighting. You know, I remember my dad being like, your mom traded you in for a car. Like she wanted a new car and my dad was like, give me more custody. And at one point she was like, okay, yeah. does that mean she trade us, traded no. us in for a car? No, but As a these are the kid. kinds of things that you hear and you're like, okay, well that, you know, and I think there was a lot of an insane amount of suppression. Like it just was all too much, you yeah. know? And, and the other thing I learned in the family, in my family was just make it look good. No matter what is going on, you know, I come from a country club background and on well, my mom's side and, you know, uh, old Southern background on my dad's side. Like there was not, you know, no one was running around telling everyone how they felt. It just wasn't a thing. And that, so like, that's the other thing, like you grew up, you know, having all the things and what, you know, the, like on paper, like looked really good. And, and you grew up with all the LA, you know, right. celebrity kids and right. elite kids. But like, did you, were you aware of that? And what did you think about those types of, th like, were you like, oh, I mean, I don't know if any of the, were the kids, were the celebrity kids celebrities at the time? No. The celebrity that are celebrities now yeah. and the parents, some of them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what did you think? Is it like, oh, this is like, it was normal. It was just normal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was normal to have all these people around or like, you know, people coming to pick me up from school. Like, and no one else thought it was weird either. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like just, this friend of my mom's who was a very famous person coming to pick me up. No one like batted an eye. Right, it wasn't, right. it was just, it wasn't it. like people were freaking out like, oh, this is such a, you know, unique experience because it was happening with them too. So yeah, I don't really, but my dad was really against it. My dad hated it. My dad hated LA, um, hated everything it kind of stood for. So he was talking to you about the fact that this was a thing. Yeah. So he, you got perspective that this wasn't how it was with everyone because, yeah, or no. Yeah. Yes. Cause he told you, but it just seemed like his, you know, kind of, um, intense views. Cause everything was right, an intense right, right, view, right, you know? Right. So I just kind of filed that away as like, I don't know, just yeah, the, the rigidity relevant. of him. Yeah. He is, yeah. he was a very, I, I will give him credit. The older he gets, the more he calms down. So I can get into that later. I don't want to yeah. make him sound like this, like, you know, yeah. but that was my upbringing. Yeah. Was, and, but I will say he wanted, absolutely wanted the best for us. Yeah. And, you know, was the most hands-on dad you could be with, you know, being the, the CFO of a company and still coaching both of our soccer teams and, you know, showing up for swim team and, you know, all of these things like he was, yeah. and he that's was how he was raised is like, you know, you, you excel academically, you do extracurricular activities, you have a lot of structure and he was just doing what he knew, what he knew. And I think that his father passed away when he was 10 and his father was, was Navy. He was a, like a fighter pilot. And apparently he was not a nice guy. He was like, you know, apparently there was alcoholism there. There was a lot of rage and, it took me, once again, it took me years into sobriety to realize that he didn't know how to be a dad because he didn't have one. And the yeah. one that he did have was a terrible example, you right. know? And I think it gave me some compassion and some sympathy and for that. And it allowed me to, to, some of the anger to dissipate, right? you know? Because I had a mother who, you know, showed every emotion. And when she was happy with you, you just felt like you were the center of the universe. Right. And when she was upset with you, watch out, you know? Right. Um, a lot of rage, a lot of, uh, and misplaced, right? Mad at my dad takes it out on us, which is, you know, not a unique story yeah. in any way, but it was very prevalent yeah. in our upbringing. 
when were you introduced to substances? I remember I have an aunt. So my mom's like the, the second oldest of six. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Three boys and three girls. And, and then my, her youngest sibling, they're the same age difference apart as the youngest sibling and I are apart, which mm-hmm. is 12 years. So she was 12 when I was born. So she was like my friend and my, you know, like okay. still. This is your aunt my was aunt. 12 when yes. you Yes. And I remember she graduated from college. She was in school in Oregon. And we went to the graduation. And I, th- I just remember it was like in this open air barn. It was like, you know, very kind of hipster cool now. And, uh, and I remember being really thirsty because I'd been running around. I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. And... I saw this cup and I was like, oh, there's Sprite in here. And I took this giant drink and somewhere in there, I knew it wasn't Sprite, yet I continued to drink it, right? And it's obviously tastes disgusting. And, um, and I remember having a really fun night and then nothing for a long time. And then it's a long story, but at the end of seventh grade, my dad sat us down. And this, at this point, he had had full custody majority. Like we saw her maybe once or twice a week. Was he back? Was he back from New York? Yeah. He had, yeah, he had he, moved he back. He came back. I don't know. And a few years after that. And mom's stability was waning. Yes. Right? Yeah. She, it was, it, she it, was she now was looking at it, it was already deteriorating, but it would take another decade for it to actually. Yeah. 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 And then another five years after that, maybe 10, I don't know five, seven years after yeah. that for anything to happen. So it, it was a long yeah, yeah. process. But yes, the, it was starting to kind of come apart. And so my dad, I guess, accepted this position in Seattle towards the end of our, towards the end of my seventh grade year. And and he and my, he had gotten remarried at this point and sat me down, sat my sister and I down and said, listen, I'm taking this job. Um, so we're moving to Seattle. Do you, you have a choice? Do you want to come with us or do you want to stay with your mom and you'll stay in your school? And of course my sister and I were like, we're going to stay. Why would we want to do something so drastic? We're going right. to stay. And apparently that was not the right answer Oops. because we went anyway. And I, oh. there were, it, were mo- it was moments like that where I felt you tricked went? a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I guess it wasn't even up for discussion. I don't know why they even sat us down. It was that false sense of, I have Oof. a choice in this, yeah. you know? And that happened a lot in, in my... Where they asked you and then did it... Oh, yeah. And- or, or something was talked about and, you know, the decision had already been made or we don't, we didn't have a say in it. And so we ended up moving to Seattle um, at the end of my seventh grade year. And, you know, being a teenager already is so brutal. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And then you add in moving to another state to a a different climate even and having to meet all these new people. And so we moved up there immediately. I hated it. I mean, I'm from LA where it's like sunny most of the time and, you know, rained every day and it was depressing. And as much as I didn't, didn't necessarily have trouble making friends. I think that thing about, you know, where I grew up and how I grew up um, was very different Right. I lived on an island. We lived on an island up there that, you know, the celebrity up there is like, you know, my next door neighbor was like Paul Allen or, you know, every Starbucks VP yeah, yeah, lived yeah. on this island, every Microsoft VP. So right. it was just a different kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, situation. And so people were like, oh, you're from LA. Do you know this? Do you know that? And I would just answer honestly, because I came from a situation where that wasn't weird. And, and then everyone was like, oh, that's cool. And then the next day you're labeled like a liar, you know? Oh. And it just happened so quick. And I was like, wait, what? You just asked me a question. I just answered it honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it just was, it was weird. It like was just, just a weird it, it thing. Just, yeah. yeah. And then I think that, that Christmas break, there was a lot of manipulation. I learned how to manipulate early on and my mom really fell for it. My dad never did. 
but we were telling my, you know, I was telling my mom how unhappy I was. And, and I don't know the details of this, so I don't want to speak to it too much. But what ultimately ended up happening is my mom lied on a police report and she got full custody. So we ended up coming down. We were going to spend a week with my mom over a break and we never went back. And I do remember a conversation. I don't remember any of this. I guess I wrote something out. I wrote like a, you know, statement. I wrote a statement. I signed it. Or maybe my mom, I don't know. I'm, I don't, I truly don't remember. And there was no drugs or alcohol yet. And I remember my dad saying to me, you've made your choice. I'll never forgive you for this. And then we lived with my mom and, and, you know, my school, I had already kind of started getting in trouble in school, ditching, obviously that, you know, talkativeness didn't, didn't, it only got worse. It didn't get better. Super disruptive. So this small private school that we were in ultimately ended up saying, sorry, we gave away your place, which maybe they could have made room, but they were not, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that happened to me as interested. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so we went to public school for the first time in our lives. And, um, and that is where the using really, really began. I mean, almost immediately. So I, because I grew up here, we were the members, we were members of a beach club, had a lot of friends and some of those friends ended up going to this middle school. So luckily it was kind of a soft landing, yeah, right? Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. And, um, and they were, you know, smoking weed. They had, and I think within the first few days I, I smoked weed for the first time and I, I remember not liking it. I remember not liking it. And then the next day being like, I can't wait to do, do that again. And I did for, for, you know, weed was a part of my story for two years, three years, every day. And then within a week, I found my people pretty quickly, I guess yeah, I'll yeah, say. Yeah. Within a week, I, I had this friend who were, will remain nameless, who showed me harder drugs. And it was basically speed. And how old were you? I was in eighth grade. So okay. thir- yeah. 13, I guess. Yeah. And, and then it was, that was it. I found this friend had secretly given me these pills so it wasn't like, you know, yeah, maybe he saw something in me that yeah. I, would, I, would, <laughs> I would appreciate these. And I didn't tell a single soul. I would smoke weed with everyone. Sometimes we would drink. I would, I would do hallucinogens. But these pills were my lifeline. I felt like I could cope. And, you know, at this point, the, the chaos at my mom's house, it, it was fighting all the time. My mom didn't know how to handle us. And this is where that, you know, being the best friend backfired because, you know, she would try and reprimand me and I'd be like, who are you? Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. and, and her response to that was to call the police when what? she couldn't, when she couldn't parent us, she would just call the cops. It was me mostly. I, she never called the cops on my sister. And call um, the cops so and say what? My daughter's being, you know, a disaster. It, it started out with more of the truth. And then over time, what did the, the cops do? They would come over. They would come. I mean, and we're, to, you know, a, a white family in the Palisades. Yeah. My mother is, was very dramatic and knew how to say what she needed to say to, to do it. And then to get they whatever would she do needed. What? Most of the time they would come over and be like, be nice to your mom. Okay. You know? Yeah. But they start, it was a recurring thing um, <laughs> to the point where I remember being in the kind of village near my high school with friends after school one day and there were these cops and they, they knew me by name and they were like, have a good day. Hope, you know, nice to see you, Ashley. And somebody was like, is your mom dating that guy? And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like they just, it was so, so the cops regularly, regularly. Like, and they, you were they were like, part of, they were like my second parent, you know, like <laughs> it, it, when you're, when the cops get home, you're going to be in so much 100%. trouble. <laughs> 
hundred percent. And and um, when and, you know, she, I when was she already would call them. What was your when she was like, "That's it, I'm calling the cops." Right? She'd be like, "My daughter's being uh, truly yeah, don't yeah, fully yeah. remember because I was yeah. I was intoxicated all the time." Like that other girl <laughs> said. Like it was from the second I started, I knew that this was something that I was going to do forever. And that I, that I needed to, to cope yeah. with each and every day. And, and so I, I just didn't want anyone taking that away from me. Yeah. You know, I was so used to telling a secret of mine and then having a blow up in my face and my family. So I, I really needed, I protected that with, with everything that I had, that I had these tools. These were, became my tools for living. Right. Um, and she was incredibly controlling, incredibly, um, but she also worked all the time at this point and had a new baby. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so did, had she gotten married? No, she was engaged and, and my stepdad ended up passing away. Wait, and I, back up, back up. Yeah, yeah. I ended up finding him during this period, passed away. It was just, it was not a. Wait, okay. Who's the stepdad? He was this guy that my mom had known for forever. And they um, had a baby when you were They help- didn't have a baby. This is where it gets a little complicated. Okay. She got pregnant at one point and decided to keep the baby. My stepdad, who was in and out for a long, like in and out okay, of our life, okay. who was also an active alcoholic for a long time. And he was kind of, what I thought, he, I, I always thought that he would disappear. Turns out, as I got older, I found out my mom would kind of push him away mm-hmm. a lot. Um, he kind of came back around and was like, I'm going to raise this baby with you. Um, you know, and the only times it was calm in my house was when he was around. Mm-hmm. It was crazy and heavy, heavy drinker, full blown alcoholic. So this was a period where he was back around and there was peace in my house. She, she wouldn't, she wouldn't go crazy all the time. And, and, and then I think he was only home for a few weeks or something. And, and he went to bed one night and the next day my mom called and asked where I was after school. And I said, I'm on my way home. And I guess we had a, a live-in nanny How old because I have uh, 14, okay. yeah, 14. Yeah. we had a live-in nanny because my mom had had a new baby and she was working full time. And my mom called me back and said, the housekeeper called and said that he hadn't come out of the room all day. Usually he would sleep till like, you know, stay up late and then yeah, sleep yeah. till like 10. I think he had just been back from Europe. So there was like jet lag in the beginning. And, um, and she said he hasn't come out. It was like four o'clock. She said, can you hurry home? I'm scared. And I, you know, I got home and, and I'm standing there. My mom wouldn't go in the room and she sent me in. And of course he was, had been, he had been dead since like, I don't know, five o'clock that morning. And she, I guess they were trying to, my mom was trying to sleep. The baby was in the room. He had this like portable DVD player. And my mom made, there was a chaise at the end of like a lounge thing at the end of her bed. And she made him go lay on that with his headphones on to not wake her or the baby to watch whatever movie he was watching. And so no one, she got up, went to work. I never went to school ever. And for some reason that day I happened to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the housekeeper thought it was, the nanny thought it was weird yeah. that he hadn't come out. And it turns out he had had a heart attack in the middle of the night or at, at like, you know, whatever five, time. Yeah. yeah, five o'clock in the morning. And it was because it was a cocaine overdose basically. And he was like 36, I think, years old. So you go in and he's find him. Yeah, he's cold. He's he's you know white, and uh, and I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I ever processed that. I think for me the biggest thing is I I, I absolutely loved him. He was French, so we could like speak French, and my mom would know. You know, there was this like yeah. the, he, I had someone on my team, and she yeah. was calm when he was around. Yeah, and um, so I think to lose that yeah was the biggest thing, and you know that was just another thing to pile on. Yeah, None yeah. of this stuff made me an alcoholic. Yeah. It was another thing to pile on to 
the trauma, I guess, if that makes any sense. And not that I was aware of that in the moment, but that's what ended up happening. And what was your mom's, I mean, did she? My mom was dramatic and everything was about her. So I don't think she's been getting help for her mental, you know, mental health stuff in the last few years. But there was never a time where you could say you did this and it hurt me. There was just, there was no room for it, you know? Yeah. Um, In that time, it was very much that this had happened to my mother and that, there was never a question of like, how did this make you feel? Right. Or, like, no, or like, there truly was I no just sent you in yeah. to the room oh, no, no, no. to find. No. There was no. And yeah. then, so the baby. Oh, and then it would turn into, as the story progressed with telling people, I found him, you know, like that she found right, him. Right, 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 So right. it was this kind of like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your sister is, this was London? Yeah. And how old was London? I don't know, six months. Okay. And so, 10 months maybe? She was under a year. And how, how did you feel about your mom having another baby? I loved her. She's yeah. just yeah. my little angel. Yeah. She's going to college soon. It's so she just got accepted to a bunch of colleges. Aww. It's so weird. But yeah, no, I was not I was not and and but my my the my other sister, I was horrible to her. I mean, my mom was working all the time and you know, every night I would have parties at my house or I would take my mom's car in the middle of the night and we would go joyriding, yeah. you know, heavily on drugs and not, not so much drinking at this point. You know, I think I could count at this point on one hand, the number of times I'd been drunk. It was easier to get drugs when yeah. you, you know, and I, I went to a public school in a really rich area that was also a charter school. So they were busing kids in from, from other areas that brought all the drugs and we had the money and zero supervision. So yeah. it was this perfect, I think it's still, and I could be wrong, in the top five drug high schools of America. <laughs> and it has been for like, you know, yeah. decades and decades. Yeah. It might not be anymore, but I'm, I can't imagine that that would have changed. So it was this perfect kind yeah. of everything collided yeah. for me perfectly, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I could get the things that I needed to, to get through a day. Yeah. You know, and, and so I would always have these parties and my mom would always do this thing where and she would work all day and then go out at night, right? And come home and we had a, a live-in, so she wasn't necessarily worried about the baby. And she would always call 30 minutes before she was coming home. It's like somewhere in her, she knew that something was going on at her house and just didn't want to deal with it. So she'd be like, I'm on my way home, be home in half an hour. And that was when I knew to like, everyone would just, you know, scatter like cockroaches and leave and clean up the house. And then nothing was ever spoken about. And then the nanny never said anything? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's so crazy. She's like, I don't want to yeah. get involved in that. <laughs> so when your mom was going out to these parties, was she like getting drunk and or like yeah, when she think, was going out at night? Well, and so this is something I should touch on that. At one, at some point, so my grandfather passed away with 25 years of sobriety. My, oh, I, didn't know I have an uncle who I think is about 25 years now sober. And so my mom, I think I was maybe seven, decided that she had gone through a period she needed to get sober. Okay. So she got sober from the time I was seven to the time I was 10. Okay. So I like grew AA up. Like AA sober? AA sober. Like okay. log cabin in the morning before school. Okay. All the fancy LA meetings. So I was never afraid right. of AA. And I immediately knew I was an alcoholic. Like from the first time I mm. took a drug or drink, I knew. And it, I wasn't scared of it. I just always thought to myself, you just go to AA once, right. once that it gets makes, bad enough. Oh, my God. That makes total sense. Which like, as like a 13-year-old, you're not really supposed to have thoughts like that, you know? I mean, not yeah. not, yeah. not supposed to, but like that's a, not yeah. a, a normal, normal. <laughs> thought. So, no, but that's a really interesting thing because if you're – if you 
see these positive outcomes, right. like I never thought of it that way, but like if you see these positive outcomes, like I think, you know, I always think of in terms of my kids, like they see mommy and daddy, they go to, you know, program, right. they're sober, their life is good. They right. pulled it together. So like, and then they know what the description of alcoholism right. is and then they feel like, oh, I'm an alcoholic. And then they, in their mind, as the alcoholic right. would do, they skip to the happy ending. Totally. So that makes sense. Right. Which it, we all know is not... Not, yeah. It's not normal. The happy ending, unfortunately, no, statistically not. is not normal. No. Uh, so, yeah. So I just – so then it turned into my mom started drinking again and she was like, oh, I just went through a period of emotional drinking. Like, right. Okay. Do I think that might have been the case? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she was always – she was incredibly social and incredibly, you know, out every night and – and but I don't I don't know if she's an alcoholic. Yeah. I think she has a lot of other ism stuff, which yeah. she would tell you herself at this point. But yeah, I don't know. So when did your drinking start to or when did your I, I use drinking like yeah generally right. when were some of the things starting to like get really out of control for you? Almost immediately within that first year, and you know I kept I started running away from home, and one time my dad called me, which is another reason why my mom would call the. Cops and I got arrested at one point. I got arrested. I got arrested for assault and battery when I was like fourteen or fifteen. And oh, this day was so bad. I never went to school. My mom had never made me go to school. But she, this day, she was leaving for work. She's like, "Where's your phone?" Or she had to run out really quickly. She's like, "Where's your phone?" I'm like, "I don't know. I'm, I'm already high. I'm already like super intoxicated." And I just didn't care, you know. When you're yeah. high, you just don't care. And she was getting really. Angry up. about this, and she's like, "If you don't find your phone, I'm going to call the cops and tell them that you're truant." Now, mind you, she never cared that I went to school any other day. And a fight, you know, we proceeded to get into a fight. She calls the cops, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of uppers. And I, I think I walked by her and like was just frustrated with her and bopped her on the head, <laughs> you know, just like out of like frustration, just <laughs> listening to the. I'm going to say, can I say a bad word? Yeah, just the shit that was coming out of her mouth. And then, of course, it was, oh, my God, my daughter just hit me. Get over here right away, you know? Oh, my God. The cops come, and they immediately put me in handcuffs. And, and of course, my mom was like, you know, the, the typical boy who cried wolf. And she was like, oh, wait, no, no. She's like, arrest her. Get her out of here. And then they're like, okay. <laughs> and they did. And she's like, no, 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 wait. It's fine. It's fine. And they're like, no, the laws change in California yeah, for domestic yep. violence. We're, the state now presses charges. Yep. Right? So there was always always this, like, <laughs> should make these messes. And somehow, you know, and this was one of those times where she couldn't, Un couldn't yeah. undo it. And the best part about that was she was filming a TV show in our house that day for work. And so I get – I come out of our house <laughs> – in like this is how reality DTC yeah, started. Million percent. Ugg boots and juicy couture, like a juicy couture sweatsuit in handcuffs. And the <laughs> the camera crew is across the street <laughs> filming the front of the house oh. for this show. And I'm like being like walked away in handcuffs. <laughs> like so my life. I, yeah, I don't, yeah. It's nothing, like a perfect depiction oh, of so how. so ridiculous. Yeah. And then, you know, I went to, they sent take me to jail far away. Everyone's always like, oh, it's in Silmar. And I'm like, oh, I've been to jail there once. Like, I don't, I've never yeah. been back since. I don't know yeah. what's there. <laughs> and then, of course, she scrambles to get me out and then we just don't talk about it anymore. So, A, there were consequences. There were consequences, but on the flip side, like, I was, like, doing drugs in the back of the classroom with, like, yeah. the other kids and, like, the teachers knew and no yeah. one, they're like, oh, Ashley's just being crazy again. Yeah. You know, there was also this, like, this thread of, like, always kind of getting away with it, yeah. you know, but uh, ultimately they ended up sending me to boarding school. They were going to send me That's the right. following year to an all-girls Catholic boarding school, like, up north. And this was, this was, I don't know, February, March, something like that. 
I don't know, somewhere in there in the spring. And I couldn't even wait that long. I kept running away. And then my dad was like, nope, you're going to this other boarding school in Arizona for basically for bad, like a college prep yeah. school for bad kids. And they, they put me on a plane that night. I didn't even have time to go home and get my stuff. My mom met us at the airport. And that was the first time where I was like, wow, I need to clean it clean up my act a little bit. I was like, this will be good. I'll go to a place where I don't have access to anything. Right, right. And then within an hour, my dad, my dad literally pulled the car up to the school, went in, wrote the check, the check to the headmaster and like left. Didn't even say goodbye. He was like so over it. He was like, yeah. take her. I want nothing to do with this. And within an hour, somebody's like, Hey, do you want to go smoke a joint? And I was like, Ugh. Yes, of course I do. But, like, <laughs> but you know that yeah. that whole thing of like, okay, it's really I'm going to clean my act up. It's going to be right, right. For like me. that thought came, yeah. came to yes, your- and that is where I learned to drink was was there, and it was basically like going to college at 14 years old, and so I was drunk for like a year, and once again, people knew, no one really said any, no one cared until things started to happen. And I kept getting into severe trouble, and and I knew enough to say, a, I was scared. I remember I, I had a friend who looked at me one day and he's like, wow, you're an alcoholic. And I was like, yeah, no. Like, like, like yeah, he was yeah, trying yeah. to help me by yeah, giving yeah, me yeah. this information. And I was like, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he passed away like a year ago from an overdose, you know, due to this disease. Like there was a bunch of us that were just like yeah. heavily active in our addictions at the time. And um, and so I kept getting into trouble and, and, and I knew to be like, okay, I got to go to rehab now. Like I knew enough. My mom to get like a, a fun job when she got sober was the head chef, uh, was the chef at Promises, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up around, like none of it scared me, you yeah, know? Yeah. All of it was really so normalized. And so I was like, I'm going to go to rehab. So they sent me home. And I really, truly was hitting a bottom for sure. It wasn't a, fully a manipulation. Like I, I really yeah. was yeah, yeah. struggling and couldn't, couldn't not drink every day. And so they were going to send me to Visions, which was like the adolescent yeah, promises. promises. Yeah. And at some point they ripped that check up and sent me to a place in Orange. And it was like, I think I was one of three kids that weren't court ordered there. You could smoke there in those days. Mm-hmm. My mom wouldn't. That was one of those things. My mom was such a pushover, but every once in a while she would like hold, yeah. hold to something. And it was like, she wouldn't sign the waiver for me to be able to smoke cigarettes. And yeah. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, what are you doing, lady? So yeah. I'd go in the back. I'd go in the back of the building and sneak cigarettes and I ended up like burning the the next door neighbor's oh, shot in the backyard down. Like just crazy. Just yeah. Crazy. Just, somehow got away with that. I, yeah. I have gone back since and made my amends to them. And, and that started, that started another kind of manipulation for me. I didn't want to be there. It wasn't cushy. It wasn't cozy. I felt like everyone was mean to me, mainly probably because they were just calling me out, but I was just not about it. And so I like started working on my mom to manipulate my way out of there. And and I was like, I'll go to meetings, I'll get a sponsor, I'll do all these things. And, and I did. I came home. They didn't even, I wasn't even allowed at my mom's house. I was living at my grandparents' house, like in Pasadena at this point. And um, got a sponsor. And, and um, bless her heart. But the way she asked me to, uh, guided me through the steps was uh, not, I don't think anyone's, anyone's advice on how to go through the steps. It was like, okay, just every day, write down all the people you're mad at and what they did. That was it. So you're just walking around this like ball of anger. There was yeah, no yeah. Yeah. anything else. And Ultimately, I ended up drinking, right? And and then it was into, you know, a bunch of 51, not 5150s. It, my mom was checking me into psych hospitals. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, so there was all this, that now the real consequences started piling up on each other. And, and just to kind of fast forward through a lot of this, I got sober and then I would relapse and then I would get sober again because consequences would get worse. Things would get worse. You know, the, the progressiveness was very apparent in my story. And then would get sober again, get a new sponsor. And then maybe I would start to work the steps. 
a little bit. Maybe I'd get to a four step and then I would, I would relapse. But on the flip side of that, my life always was getting better every time I got sober, right? It was getting bigger. You had that experience. Yes. My life was getting bigger and better. And, and part of it was I, I was getting too busy for AA, you know, I was getting too busy for the thing that saved me. But the majority of this, I was still a, a minor. So I was still living in a, in a, in an abusive, chaotic household. And I was still having most of my decisions, you know, made by, by someone that, you know, I didn't, who I didn't trust. So there was like all this chaos always. I ended up, you know, after a a few relapses, my mom's friend ended up taking me in who was sober a while. And how old were you when that happened? 17, I think. Okay. And she's like, no, you're coming to live with me. Like, I just, I couldn't stay, I couldn't stay sober at my mom's house. I couldn't, I definitely, I, I wouldn't give myself the opportunity to, because I just wanted to drown out all the craziness. Yeah. And so I went to go live with this friend of my mom's and, um, and thank God for her. She saved my life. Like, and I was able to get friendships that I still have to this day. Right. And these people took me in and they just like surrounded me. And, um, and I went to meetings every day and, you know, I, and I got it like a get well job. Right. And, and things were going well, things were, moving in the right direction. And I, you know, I had a boyfriend and who was also sober. And, and then it was right before I had a year sober. And my mom was also spending a lot of time in Orange County at her, at one of my godmother's houses. Right. So she was gone a lot. So then I was started to kind of like live at my mom's house without her there. Everything was fine. No one was really fighting. And my mom calls and says that my sister was in a car accident. Or I think it was actually, I was spending the night at my mom's house while my mom was there. And my, my sister had, had stolen my mom's car. She tried to take mine, but it, she Campbell. couldn't turn it on. Yeah, Campbell. I think it had a kill switch mm-hmm. on it or something. And so she took my mom's car and, and proceeded to get into numerous ac- car accidents with parked cars and then crashed into a, a palm tree and was MIA, was missing. And oh, it took us... the scene? Yeah. It took us 12 hours to find her. Um, and by the time we did... No, I mean, they just, the cops basically said she walked away from this, obviously, but the internal bleeding, because she was drinking, she might not know, but she's probably dead in an alley somewhere because, you know, you're, you can't really survive a crash like this. I mean, the car, you couldn't even make out the car. And so we looked for her for a long time. The whole city of LA was looking for her. And, and this was really before like heavy social media. So, you know, there was a lot of like calling around and she had left the scene, went somewhere else then, and ended up taking a bottle of Tylenol and not telling anyone about it. And so by the time they, and then went to a friend's house and like got in touch with my grandma my grandma brought her back. And she had had a few suicide attempts before that with, with like, you know, Tylenol or Advil or whatever, which can do severe, severe damage to you. Not a good way to kill yourself though. No, but she knew not to say anything about it. She knew to keep it quiet for a certain number of hours because within those, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. beginning time, they can give you something to mm-hmm. to make it better. And so we didn't find out about that for a long time. And it was just this, she was in the hospital for, I think she was at UCLA for like a month. And in the ICU for the beginning part, her liver failed. Um, she basically said, if you give me a new liver, I'll kill myself. Like it was just a very, oh my you God. know, so she was, she flatlined too. She flatlined. And I don't remember for how many minutes from, but she flatlined. from the attempt or from the car accident, from the attempt, from the, from the, from pills. the pills. I don't think that the car accident helped anything. Yeah. Uh, but her, her, yeah. you know, her organs were shutting down and, um, and she refused not that they're going to listen to a 14 year old kid, but there's hundreds of thousands of people that, that right, are, right. Are, they're are not waiting yeah. every day by the phone for, for a healthy organ, they're not going to give it to some ungrateful kid, right? So, so yeah. So, the, and the reason I'm telling the story is, I think I was just just before a year sober, and my girlfriend flew out from New York, and I looked at her at some point, and I said, I think I need some cocaine to stay awake 
for my family. And the scary part is I really believed what I was saying. I really, truly believed that was my reasoning behind it. Not like this is too heavy for me. I can't deal with it. And so I did. And I, and I, and I got that cocaine and I had had a bout with it before. This was like on a whole nother level. And, and the, the difference with this is I wouldn't drink. Oh, I wouldn't drink. And I remember that's unusual. Yeah, because I didn't want to get sloppy. I lived with my sober boyfriend at this uh, point. Ah, okay. I, um, you know, my world was yeah, sobriety. Right, 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 right. So, oh, so didn't you want still, anyone to find out. Okay, you were still. Yeah, I was a big liar. I was a big hider of my, uh, my, you know, my substance abuse and all that because I was so scared that they were going to take my solution away because that's what had always happened is like they would find out and put me in a treatment center, put me here, put me there and take away the thing. The only thing that was making me feel better, you know? Yeah. So I kept it to myself. Everyone, I think, started to figure out very quickly (laughs) Um, because doing cocaine alone all day, every day, like just cocaine and not drinking to kind of balance it. I was a psychopath and I weighed like 82 pounds and I'm almost I'm five nine, you know, so it's like it it was I was bruised all over my body. And um, and then I remember going I was going to go somewhere with my mom one night and she looked at me in the car and she said, I just want you to know, I know, like, mm. I, I know you're not sober anymore. And we went to a bar and I took a drink. Yeah. And, and I, w- I had also turned 18 at this point. So like at this point, no one really could put me anywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, against my will anyway. Mm-hmm. And that, I, you know, it took oh, me. I so relate to that. Yeah. I, my 18th birthday, the literal thought, cause I was in, I was yeah. in treatment on my 18th birthday oh, yeah. And my literal thought was, but I was awarded the state of California. And my literal thought was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, but was like, I'm 18. They can't put me anywhere. Yeah. Like yeah. that, that was my happiest. 100%. Like, and it's such a good feeling. Yeah. It's such a good feeling. And I can drink now and I can maybe try and balance this out. By the end of that relapse, I was drinking like two liters of vodka a day. Um, and like two eight balls of cocaine a day. And that was just to like maintain, right? And it was a very isolating, I didn't really want to be around other people, but over time the boyfriend found out that fell apart. And then I started meeting people that were like, you know, doing what I was doing through one way or another, you know, and I had people to do this with, but I was the person that would go to a party where everyone was doing cocaine and I would take my own cocaine and do it in the bathroom Mm -hmm. as well as their cocaine. Right. 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 I I liked the isolation of it. The secret. I was basically living in my car. I mean, it was a nice car, but I was basically living in it um, or hotel room or whatever. I mean, it was just a very... I relate to people who say it was a full-time job. I was not one that's like, okay, my career oh, comes totally. first. And then, you know, totally. like, I, there was I no know, career. I don't know there was no to anything. Totally. There was like, none of that. Yeah. At all. Nor did I Absolutely want there to job. be. Like, that's just what I wanted to do. And, you know, and then it started to get bad and worse and worse and worse. At first it was like, this is what I'm dedicating my life to. I'm fine yeah. with it. And then, and then it started to scare me a bit because that thing that I said about always being able to go back, go to AA when it got bad enough, I, I physically couldn't go. Yeah. I was like, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go to a meeting tomorrow. I'm going to like, you know, this is like not, I put myself in very dangerous situations with very dangerous people. And some of which I probably don't even remember to this day, you know, and it just was starting to, you know, kind of weigh on me. My mom used to come find me. I would be with friends in hotel rooms doing drugs for, you know, numerous days. And my mom would come there and hang out because she had said later that she didn't know if that was the last time she was going to see me alive. You know, it was, it was really, I was deteriorating and and I was not, you know, my sister kind of had that, you know, the suicidal ideation, suicidal tendencies. I I never tried to take my own life, but I think I was suicide on the installment plan. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I was like, if I don't wake up, 
I'm yeah, cool. I'm good with that. You know, yeah, like totally. I was ready, but yeah. not not willing to. Was, also, yeah. there was a vanity to it. Like, what are these people going to do without me? Like, I was a disaster. <laughs> I was like a. I wasn't allowed within five miles of any of my family members' homes. Like, I was a true train wreck. But I'm like, oh, they're going to miss me. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. This like that was the flip side of it. There was this vanity of like this like you know this like um, don't you know who I am kind of thing and. And so I kept trying to get back, and and then it got to the point where I was calling my dad and asking to to go to rehab, go to detox. It was you know the secret was out; everyone knew at this point, and and then that's when I would do that thing where he would put me into a, a treatment center, and then I would run away, and and you know for a relationship that had no trust to begin with, that really wasn't helping the situation. Yeah, right, you know? right, right. So then he just stopped taking my calls, like you know. Every phone call cost him like $50,000, you know, like with nothing, no return on his investment. So like, why would he even, you know, yeah. and, I'm, and he now was, I don't you know he had yes. the legal pad out doing the math 100%, on that. 100%. No, oh, yeah. he was not about it. And, and our mutual friend was someone that took me in. Um, and I, you know, I will always be grateful to him. Yeah. He was sober companioning at the time and he took me in and he, you know, he called my dad and was like, your daughter's dying. And I, I, you need to know that. So then that started another series of detoxes and yeah. that, that this friend of ours, you know, facilitated. Um, <laughs> Some real great stories about. Oh, my about, God. Oh. Did you, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but did you hear about the one where I peed on the sofa? <laughs> yes. In a blackout? Yeah. I thought I, I thought I was going to take it to my grave. And no. Years later, of he was like, why did you think you peeing on the sofa, I wasn't going to notice? It smelled <laughs> like pee in the house. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, so bad. But yeah, so, so this started this and I, you know, I guess I got a little more willing each time, but not enough to actually do anything. And so the last time I remember I was at this, I don't know if it was an after hours, I was at this guy's house with a bunch of people that was known to have his place was like the Coke place. Right. And, um, and I'm in the bathroom doing Coke alone while everyone else out there is doing Coke, (laughs) you know, like it's just a really, it was very isolating. And, and, um, and he calls me, it's like two in the morning. I think he was like driving home and he's like, I'm just checking on Who? you. LW oh. calls me. And, um, and for some reason I was like, I'm done. I'm done. He's like, okay, come. You can go yeah, yeah, sleep yeah. in the spare bedroom or on the sofa, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just come here now. And I did. And I left there and, you know, he had to keep me drinking medically. He had yeah, to keep me drinking I because I was that. having seizures if I wasn't, if I didn't drink and, but he would always take the cocaine away. So I would just immediately black out and do really, really weird things. <laughs> and, um, and I woke up from this blackout. This uh, I woke up from this blackout, and and there was a paper on the table, and it said it was a it was a release form to go to a wilderness program in Utah. And I looked at him, and I was like, "Huh? No, one hundred percent no." It was like you know when a puppy is like being trained, and there's an alpha in the room, and they bark and bark and bark until they calm down, uh-huh. and then they realize that that's the alpha and that they can chill. Yeah, that's exactly what I did to him. Yeah. I was like, "You're crazy, no way!" And he just stared back at me, and I, like I slowly st- and the thought in my head was, you've tried everything else. Yeah. Why not? And so I signed it and I went off to detox in Salt Lake City for like 10 days or something. Um, And then they put me in this wilderness program for nine weeks. And yeah, I mean, I fought that too in the beginning. I fought it and I fought it and I fought it and I ran away. Yeah. Like, good luck running away in the middle of Mormon, Utah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I tried to hitchhike, which I've never done before in my entire life. And then I went back and it was the first real willingness that I had. And I said to my, you know, I was always like, they would call, my dad called me on the satellite phone as I'm like huffing and puffing my way out of this, you know, place, this like national forest. 
<laughs> and he was like, turn around, go, but what are you doing? Mind you, there's like, because there's a safety net, there's yeah, yeah. like a bunch of pickup People. trucks oh, yeah, 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 and yeah. all the staff They're is like driving to, yep. behind me, I'm, but I'm 18, so they can't actually like restrain me and bring me back. It was just ridiculous for anyone oh, yeah. that was driving by. Oh, yeah. And I was like, well, maybe I have this problem, so I need to go to this treatment. And he finally said to me, finish one and I'll send you wherever you want to go. You can go, like, how about complete something, finish something, and I'll send you to every rehab you want to go to. But do this one first. And that resonated with me. Because I had never completed a single thing in my entire life. So I did. And that was an incredible experience. Of course, it turned out to be an incredible experience. And and I thought I was going to go home after. And then I started to get more and more scared as it got closer to me leaving. So they sent me to a a sober living in, in, uh, not in Denver, in what's it called? In Boulder. And I think that was maybe a bit too much too quick. And I ended up relapsing. Um, And then they sent me to the final treatment center that I went to where I, where I spent my 19th birthday, um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful for that place. It was a, like a secondary treatment center. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just alcohol and yeah. drug addiction. It was like everyone's everything. Yeah. Um, an insane amount of trauma work. Yeah. And, and even there in the beginning, I was like holding on to that will, you know, and holding on to, it's hard not to, when you get put in those situations, 100%. like even if you want it, you feel like, it's, it's being pushed it's, on it, you. It's default. Yeah. They have to help you undo that before, even if you want it. 100%. So I, but then they were going to kick me out and not for drinking or using, but for doing something else stupid and not listening. And, and somebody said to me, they're like, you're going to die if you don't get honest, you know? Like, I, and I don't know why I heard this woman. I, she, yeah. she barely knew me. I wasn't there that long, but she yeah. just looked at me and was like, you're killing yourself. And yeah. for the first time I didn't want to die, you know? Yeah. And so I threw myself into it. It was like, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day of like heavy trauma therapy. And, um, and then it came time for me to leave after a few months and I came back to LA and, and that friend of ours ended up sponsoring me. I was too scared. I, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't trust women. I had yeah. really bad trust issues with women. I had had a bad experience with a woman sponsor. Yeah. Um, and you know, like, yeah, it was just, it was gross. So, and I asked him to sponsor me because, I, you know, I trusted him and I, I felt he had my best interest, but he was in Japan or something at the time. And he was like, I called him and I'm like, you know, overwhelmed now living back with my mom who is still continuing to deteriorate. And my dad is mad because I left there. He was like, I don't know if he's out of the country or something, but couldn't get a hold of him. They're like, you have till five o'clock to leave here. And, um, and so I had to, you know, my mom bought me a ticket back to LA and stay tuned to hear more in just a moment. Hi, it's Ashley, your beloved host. When I'm not hosting the Courage to Change a Recovery podcast, I'm running the recruiting department at Lion Rock Recovery. We are always looking for amazing licensed mental health counselors, along with various other sales and operations positions that pop up from time to time. The Lion Rock culture is one of collaboration, support, and flexibility. Our employees work from home offices all over the country, utilizing technology to connect to one another. We are always hiring. So if you want to have the best job ever, check out our open positions and apply at www.lionrockrecovery.com backslash about backslash careers. So I think that's a big thing for a lot of women and who come into the program, it definitely was for me, um, which is why I gravitated so much to LW. You know, I mean, I think it is like people, you know, people don't understand, like it looks strange, right? Like an, like an older gentleman helping this young girl. But like for me, 
I didn't trust women and he was the person that I could hear the message through. 100%. And like, I don't know why. And now all, all I work with is like, I have zero interest in having like a male spawn, yeah, you know, 100%. or any, like not, right. not at all. At the time, like when I was 19 or 20, when I met him, he was the only person like that I honest to God did not feel judged by. A million percent. And I could hear the message. Like he would say things. I remember he said to me, I said like, oh, well, I'll never forget this moment because I'm, I'm sure lots of people said this yeah. to me. He looked at me and he goes, we were having breakfast and um, we always had these breakfasts and he would have yep, these like same. long silence. Same. And I was like. Nicks yeah. On, on uh-huh. Pico. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he would, we would have, he would have this long, I would be like talking or whatever and he right. had this long silence and I'm like, what are you thinking? Why are mm-hmm. you not talking? Like I'm just, and, um. And he, I said, like, okay, well, when I'm a year, in, you know, sober, or when I'm two years sober or something, I said. And he goes, if you're yeah. a year sober. And I was like, yeah. what are you talking about? You don't think I'm going to make it to a year sober? Yeah. And he was like. The audacity. Yeah, like, I was so. And I'm like, I, like, screw you. Yeah. I'm going to stay so Like, there were so. But he also knew how to not react. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? With I, and I crazy. didn't react. Yeah. I was just like, oh. Oh yeah. Just oh yeah. Watch. Yeah. Just watch. And like there were all, there were lots of little things like that. And, uh, I think that it, like you hear the message, whatever that message is, you need to right. hear from the person you need to hear Completely. it. And it's okay. Like right. whoever that is, cause it'll change. Right. And for people listening, like it's really normal for women to come in, not trusting women. Yeah. Like it is normal to come in. Like, I think we were pretty much all this, like, well, all my friends are guys. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like. I couldn't find a woman friend, no. like, no. anywhere in my no. life. No. And so, like, that is completely normal. Right. And okay. Yeah. I think that, you know, he did, he, he did a lot, like, where, you know, I, I think that I, I like to tell this. So, I do want to say the only difference between the sobriety and any other sobriety is that I worked all 12 steps in a row, start to finish without like cherry picking what I, mm-hmm. what I thought I needed, what I thought I could get away with not doing it. And, and he was the person for me to do that with, yeah. you know, obviously I had, I had issues with trust, but also fear of getting honest because that never worked out well for me in right, my life. Right. There was always like, you know, the, the, the thing of just tell us, it won't matter. You yeah, won't be yeah. in trouble. And then there was these severe consequences. Right. Like, oh, I want you to trust me. It's, you know, please. Yeah. And then it, it just was a disaster. It blew up in your but face. But for him, I just, I didn't, I kept like testing him almost. And it just, yeah. I didn't get the reactions I, I was used to getting and I didn't get the judgment. Yeah. If anything, I got like, oh, that's stupid. I did one way worse. And then I <laughs> felt like an amateur. You yeah, know? totally. So I remember doing my four step finally, right? And writing down, you know, oh my, I think it was like two notebooks. Yo, full yep, of yep, names. yep, yep. The poor guy listened to the whole entire thing. Oh my God. But whatever. I was obviously very angry and it was yeah. incredibly suppressed. And, and, was- but I remember there not being, there were secrets that I had in my life that I wasn't resentful about. So it was like, for me, yeah. like a loophole, you know, yeah. like, oh, I don't have to put this down. I'm no, getting away I with totally, it. Totally. I was yep. like, I remember. So that is a really great point. I love that because I remember like, okay, write down all your resentments. Mm. Like you get out all your dirty laundry. And right. I remember thinking to myself, like, my dirty laundry is not in my resentments. Yeah, 100%. I'm just mad <laughs> about these other things. Yeah, like that's not the dirty not laundry. I'm mad at myself. Yeah, yeah. But I remember there was, and maybe we'll go into it, but there was a, there was a situation. Oh, so I, I read my fifth step to him. This 
poor guy, listened to it for I don't know how many, you know, times we had to get together. And then he goes, and, you know, meanwhile, I'm, like, patting myself on the back. I'm like, you got away with it. Your secrets are safe, you know? Yeah. And he goes, okay, now sit down and write a list of all your secrets. And I was so mad that it's like he knew what was what was in yeah. my brain. Yeah. And I did, though. I did, and I was mortified and, you know, felt like this was going to be the end of our relationship. Like, well, here we go. We had this good, great relationship, and he's really helping me, and we're never going to talk again. Why did you decide to do it anyway, then? Because I trusted him. And I and truly, no I want, no, I had no, no other, yeah. and I wanted what he had, which was peace of mind. And yeah. like, you know, at least on the surface, looking like he wasn't walking around just in like a, in one constant anxiety attack, you know, <laughs> he yeah. was like comatose compared oh, to I what know. I was, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so I did it. And then we, we continued through the steps and, and, you know, I, I would like to share kind of what happened with that, if that's yeah. okay. You know, I get to my ninth step, I'm starting to make amends to people, and my life is getting really big, right? I've started a company um, out of nowhere. I was planning on doing one thing. At, what, at some point, I moved back to Arizona to be with a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not recommended. <laughs> um, and uh, and then I ended up back, and I had stayed sober through that process. And I think I had, you know, two-something, two-plus years sober. And I'm doing life. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm on my way to do one thing and to get my license for this thing. And then this other thing comes up and so I'm working and I'm like, you know, I'm making money and I'm, I'm making as a, an interior designer. No, but this was before that oh, with, oh, oh. with the events. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I started working for a catering company and all of a right, sudden right. I'm like doing my own events, events. like right, one right, thing right. leads to another and I'm super busy and I'm, I'm supporting myself and I'm, right. you know, moved back from Arizona with basically nothing, have no idea how I'm going to support myself and then just like make it happen. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's not a pat on the back, but like you, you yeah. when you don't have another option, yeah. you, you do it. No, I've right? seen you do it. And so, and I'm working and making a lot of money and things are good. And, and I have, I think this was the time, maybe it was after that relationship. I can't remember. There was a, a period where I just wasn't able, I remember sitting him down one day and I'm like, he knows I'm doing well. And I'm talking about how I can't hold on to money. No matter how much is coming in, it's just going back out again. Yeah. Right. And very matter-of-factly, very calmly, he just looks at me and he's like, well, yeah, that's because the money you're bringing in doesn't belong to you. You owe people money. Like, kind of like in a very sweet, loving way, but yeah, like, yeah, duh. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I don't know about that. He's yeah. like, so maybe we look at, you know, there was one very significant financial amends that I that I needed to make. The shed in the back of the... No, no, no. <laughs> but I also, I made that one and I was so scared because the woman that worked there hated me and yes. she still worked there all those years later. I was like, she's calling the cops. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Um, but I did. I went down there and I made that amends. And then they asked me to come back and speak on a panel there, which was really great. Mm. But this was another one. This was a, I worked at this company, the last place I worked before I re- my last relapse. And I took a lot of money from them. It was like, nobody was really paying attention. And, yeah. um, and it was supporting my habit, you know? Yeah. And I was going to go to my grave with it because they could absolutely 100% put me in jail for it. And so he brings that one specifically up. He's like, maybe we think about, you know, this, the biggest financial amends you have. Everything else was pretty self-contained with me. So I didn't like, you know, yeah. it's not like I had child support to pay and yeah, yeah, children, yeah. like none of that stuff. And I was like, haha, that's cute. But anyway, I got to like go buy. How much you money know? do you th- I had no idea. Okay. But I wasn't even like willing to entertain it. Okay. Okay. And then over the course of the next like seven days, I run into like five people that I worked with at that, that nice. company. Hadn't seen them ever out before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have not seen them again to this day. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh. I just knew and I called him. It was, it couldn't have been right. more obvious. The universe, the universe yeah. was like, yeah. we're doing this, right. you know? So I call him and I'm like, okay, 
I hear you, you know, like, <laughs> fine, let's talk about this. And, you know, and I had to make this call to this, to the man who owned this business, who was just the nicest, kindest, yeah. had always been nothing but nice and kind and a family man, like just like a good guy. And I had to be willing to go to jail. And, you know, I said this Ugh. the other day that like, had it come down to it, whatever happened after that, if that was it, I don't know, you know, where my willingness would have been, but I had to be willing to make the phone call, um, to make it right. So I go to LW's house and I make it with him because I'm too way too scared to make it by myself. And I call this man and and I say, listen, this is what happened, you know, and I, and I took money from you and I, and I want to pay it back. And he is quiet for a second. And he the first thing he says is, I just want you to know that I see how hard this call must be to make. And like, you know, already off to like oh a God, nice I, That makes me want to cry. Totally. Yeah. Like, and I'm like, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just, you're like, what? Like, yeah. And I was like, thank you. Yeah. Like, um, and he goes, well, how much money do you think it was? Yeah. And I said, honestly, I have no idea. And he, he was like, okay. Well, you think it was more than 10 grand? Maybe it was about that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I said, um, I I wrote all the, he goes, I want you to come up with a number and really try and think about it. And, and then I want you to give that money to somebody who needs it. And I was like, the, I'm like looking at the phone away from my ear, like, I'm sorry, what? Like, did you just hit your head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. And, you know, for my pattern was to run and to, to completely evade responsibility my entire life. So I could have absolutely hung up the phone and just been like, cool, that's taken care of. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, like, that would be so hard, especially in early sobriety. I would have been like, cool, so he said I don't have to pay it. 100%. That's all I would have yes, heard. Yes, 1 million percent. But I did. I wrote that check every single month. And I was about a month away from my, like I was, I think on my last check. Did you send him, like, did you? T- no, he, no, he didn't need to know anything. I know, but I mean, you didn't nope. tell him? Nope. Oh, I would have been like, see, I'm doing it. Totally. But yeah. I, I think I even talked to LW about it. He's like, no, just do what he said. Yeah. And I was a month away and I run into him at Swingers on Beverly. Mm. I walk in and he's standing there with his, with his son and they're both like dressed in all white, like little angels. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I yeah. felt like it was yeah. nighttime and there was still this like light yeah. on yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's glowing. And he looks at me and he starts crying. There's tears in his eyes and he comes and gives me the biggest hug. And he says, I want you to know, I tell your story to whoever will listen. Um, and I told him, I said, I'm on my last check. Like, and it's weird because I had just left talking to a newcomer yeah. at a rehab and told her this story. And I think she's with me, actually. The newcomer is with me to eat. Oh. And I have just told her the story that sounds like complete b- <laughs> you know? And then I run into the guy. Like, it was just like one of those moments yeah. in sobriety that you'll never forget. Yeah. Right? And like you try to explain to other yep. people and they're like, you can't get the significance yeah, of it. Right? right. And I wrote that last check and something about that. I was able to hold on to money after that. How interesting. Uh, to be fair, I've also made amends to people in sobriety, like in the who are in uh-huh. the program who are like, I don't care what you have to say. I don't want to see you anymore. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah, like, right, right. Like, right. like that is not, not everyone. a typical yeah. amends story. <laughs> don't expect that. Right, right, right. Let's um, not set our But But for me, that was like one of those things that uh, more experience that if I show up because I had never showed up for anything in my life, if I continue to show up and face the hard stuff – ultimately, no matter what happened with that phone call, my life is going to get better. Right. And I'm going to start to heal a little bit. And I don't have to take this stuff to my grave because taking this stuff to my grave is what's killing me in the first place. Right. You know, and things started to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm traveling the world. And, and, you know, I was now, you remember, I was never here. And then I started to burn out. And so at this time, so you're in your early twenties. Oh, wait. So maybe I didn't start traveling yet. What I I do want to touch on, I'm in my early Mm twenties. I'm like, what I do know is around four years sober, 
my life started to fall apart. And I think now looking back on it, it was completely of my own making where I was in a relationship that probably wasn't working for either one of us. I was not happy at work because I was also working other jobs, right? Right. So I'm like doing all this stuff. And and one day I kind of blow my whole life up and I end that relationship. And, um, and you know, my friendships were attached to this relationship. So right. I'm, because I'm the one breaking up the relationship, uh, you're the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. And so all my friendships go away as well. And they were mostly male friendships. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I, I, I do want to say that from years four to five, ne- I never thought about drinking because I just knew where that led. I'm very, I feel very fortunate to never forget how bad it was yeah. by the, the last time I got sober and that last day of, of drinking and using. But I kind of wanted to check myself into a hospital and have no totally. responsibility for a minute, you know? Totally. I like, do know. Like just kind of like, sit back I gotta and go let somebody somewhere. else deal with it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I wanted to not feel. Yeah. Right. And that doesn't mean there was no, I didn't want to end my life. I didn't want to, you just, know, yeah. drink. I just wanted to numb. numb. Yeah. And, and that is the first time besides LW who I, who I did take direction from. That is the first time in my life. I started talking to people that had been through the same things before me, who has gone, you know, who went through a painful breakup in sobriety. Mm-hmm. I think I ran into we, you and I talked at that point. Don't, don't you remember that? Yeah. That's crazy for both of us. So so, right, because so LW, our mutual friend, right. he would always talk about the other Ashley, yeah. right? So he yeah. was like, oh, the other, you know, because yeah. we would we would be going through things right. very similarly right. simultaneously. Right. And, uh, and I feel like for our whole lives we did. Yeah. Like we have yeah, such it was similar. Super, yeah. yeah. And then and then like with the breakup and things falling apart and I I I feel so one of my mentors told me that talk to me about, he's like, you have to, in order to stay sober a long time, you have to upgrade your recovery to where you are. And I did what worked in the beginning for a long time. And then like, I just, I mean, I'm a creature of habit, so I'm just going to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again until it completely blows up in my face. Right. It's just like, I don't know how to do anything else. It doesn't occur. Until somebody like physically picks me up and turns me, you know, to my left and is like, okay, keep walking this way now. Like a little doll that goes in one direction. You have to turn me around. And like, so around that same time, like when you're talking about that, that like bottom in sobriety is what you're talking about. I had to change my my sobriety needed something new. Completely. And this has happened to me in 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 other parts of my sobriety. It happened to me when I have ki- had kids and it took me a while it took me a lot of pain to like right. come to that like oh this is a recovery thing again. Yeah. I'm like I need I need a I need a, it's a, happened a to doctor, I need a too. neurologist, yeah. I need <laughs> somebody come just lift this need, problem yeah, off my shoulders I need with me psychic. doing minimal effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah I need like yeah, yeah. I was like I need every yeah. you know and it was I like I need a psychic. I need Same. any Anything Girl, like yeah. just like maybe yeah. a plumber, yeah. I don't know. 100%. But uh, but then it's like, oh, this is a recovery. Yep. This is recovery. This is my, this is my alcoholism. Yeah. And when I say alcoholism, and when you say alcoholism, it just stands for all of the yeah. isms, yeah. all of the things that I use to numb because the feelings are too big and I just can't deal. And hitting a bottom in sobriety is it was funny because I was literally talking today about the post that was like, uh, I wouldn't trade my worst day in recovery for my best day using. And I was like, absolutely incorrect. Like absolutely unequivocally, my best day using was wonderful. And my worst days in recovery have been whole. I wouldn't wish it on my worst day. Because I had to feel everything. Every 
ounce of it. Like literally as present as you can get. Oh, you just I mean, I remember thinking like, should I should I get should I get the you know the vegetable peeler and just peel my skin? I don't know what to do here. Like just I've been in a situation where I've been in the shower, like when Dak and I broke up, in the shower crying and like I don't know where to walk. Yep. Like, yeah, <laughs> just the inability to like, n- I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like not with my hands, right. not with my, like completely. I was so used to. Well, that's the same time you and Dak broke up around the same time. Yeah. So I remember running into you and both of us like, just like very skinny, <laughs> very skinny. Very, like <laughs> you can see it in another person's eyes totally. when their world is falling apart. Oh. You know what I mean? Like you just, oh. you have that, oh. like you, there are no words and have like, to be yeah, spoken. like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I remember that conversation. Yeah. Very, yeah. like it was yesterday. Oh yeah. And, and that's an important, I think it happened. I, I suspect it happens to everyone. Right. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't hit a bottom in sobriety, right. but that is when... I don't when, know that it's spoken about that much, though. Yeah, maybe not. Right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't... Right. I speak to a lot of people who tell me about right, it, so right. I, don't know what yeah, they, I don't know what they tell people right. publicly, but they do tell me. Um, right. But, like, a bottom in sobriety, those are the moments where you either you either grow, mm-hmm. you know, they say grow or go. Yep. Like, you no, either grow or go, because that, those, that pain is everything like it's like a it's like you know you're driving a a station wagon full of like thousand years of your bullshit in the back and you hit the you hit the brakes and it all comes and like decapitates you (laughs) like that's what it It feels like brutal which is the time that I decided to get a female sponsor Right. I had no idea like how that's, to. That's yeah. the change, right? That's yep. like, okay, something has to, like, you were done with that. You needed right. something new. I mean, I was such a mess that, and I saw this woman and I was instantly attracted to her. I think I was speaking at a meeting and she was there and she ended up sharing. And I was like, oh, she looks good and she's not crazy. Right, awesome. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, like, right. You don't always get both, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I and I called her and I, and I asked her to sponsor me. And now she jokes. She's still my sponsor to this day. Now she jokes that she ended that call. My energy was so off at that time right. that she said she hung up the phone with me and she was vibrating you, over the phone. You used to, like, when during those days, right. you – I've never met anyone who literally, like – I was like, is she sober? You talked, <laughs> you talked so yeah. fast and your body, like you moved so quickly. Like truly uncomfortable in my skin. Oh, the you most were, you possible. Were, I was like, I don't know. You like, yeah, you were like busy doing nothing. Yep. Like you just, 100%. Were, everything, every cell in your body was going in a different like direction. Running away yeah, from me. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Totally. It just looked so uncomfortable. And it, it was for like a year. Yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't really sleep. And so anyway, I found this woman and she's like, okay, I'll sponsor you, but this is how we're going to do it. We're going to go through the book and we're going to go through the steps and we're going to go line by line in the book. And I would show up at her house every Saturday afternoon. And I, because I was so busy judging myself and feeling so insecure and so just like, like a fish out of water yeah. every single moment of the day, yeah, I was uncomfortable all the time, right? And she's this woman who has 30, now I think she's what, she'll kill me if I don't, like 32, 33 years of sobriety, who, you know, 20 something years of sobriety, who's like completely comfortable in her skin because she continues to work a program. She continues to go to meetings. She continues to, you know, work with other people. So she's good. She doesn't need anything from me, you know, like (laughs) I'm there yeah. You know, uncomfortable, just crawling out of my skin. And I remember a few, maybe a month or a few months into it, I blurted out at her house, I'm so uncomfortable right now. 
<laughs> because in my brain, I'm like, oh no, we're not best friends already. It's like, right. she doesn't want to be my best friend. Right. I have literally nothing to You've offer. You've never had a relationship like no, that. No, where you have to build it organically. Right, right, right. And she literally said that to me. And she she's was, the adult. Like, you're not used to adult. Like, no. someone like embodying what right. it truly means to be loving and an adult. Well, that and to build a relationship over time. Yeah. Right? I was right. so used to like, oh, we have things in common. We're best friends. Like, she really had no interest in being my best friend. I'm very close to her now. And she's still now my best friend. She has friends. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. Like, so it just was a matter of like. Special relationship. Yes. And she said to me in that moment, she started laughing when I was like, oh, freaking out. I'm so uncomfortable. She's like, give it time. We're building the relationship. Yeah. So used to this like out of thin air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That isn't real, right? Right. It's not lasting. It's not built on anything like real. But I did. I, I, I went and I had to tell her some really shameful things, you know, that I thought for sure some of the things that I had done, she had been on the receiving end of in her life, mm. right? That were like things that like completely changed right, her. her life. And I had to be like, I'm actively, I did that I'm yeah. actively engaging in this yeah. thing right yeah. now. And all she said to me was, to get self-esteem, we do esteemable acts. That's all she said. I mean, it like broke my brain. <laughs> and I, I had heard it a million times right, before right. that. But like she could have been like, ew, gross, get out of my house. Yeah, yeah, You know, people that did something, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, could, um, You know, she could have brought herself into it and she chose not to. And that's all she had to say for me to be like, I'm out of this situation that I'm in that is making me feel awful, yeah. you know. Yep. Um, and I'm ashamed of it. And, uh, and you know, I've had so many experiences like that. And so I went through the steps then and I've, I've gone through them numerous times and, and I just finished going through them. You know, I, I do want to touch on, I had another bottom in sobriety, right? So after that, my life was getting bigger and I was traveling all the time and just burnt out after a couple of years yeah. and not really, I didn't really have roots anymore. Yeah. You know, luckily I had great friends that, you know, I was able to leave and come back to like, you know, some normalcy a little bit, but but definitely starting to kind of spin out again. And um, and I made a decision in that time on a trip to, I don't know, Africa or Europe or something that I needed to come back and like reroute myself. Yeah. Because I don't, I need consistency. Yeah. I do. I'm, I'm one of those people that just loses it. I can travel the world and I can, I can be in a different city every day, but I need to be able to come home for brief periods and have and feel like I have a routine yeah because otherwise I'm just all over the place and you know such a creature of habit and I decided that I was gonna you know stop taking on events all over the place and stop doing this and and really root myself here and and I that I was gonna start this new business right and it was a business that my mother was in so I, you know told myself like oh you got it you know right, right, right. you know from driving around after school and like kind of yeah. sometimes paying attention right you'll do great and I didn't have it, you know, and I put my time and my savings and my energy and every single thing I had into and, and you know, stopped bringing in a paycheck to do this. And, and, you know, my, my brain was like, oh, because my last experiences were like things grew organically and they grew quickly and yeah. things were good. And I was like, oh, it'll just happen right away. And, you know, this business will build, you know, somewhere in me, it was like, it's going to take five minutes, five years to build this yeah. business. But, uh, you know, the, the one, the instant gratification thought right. won out. And I had, uh, you know, it was, it'll be five years and it's finally getting there. But I will say I've never been in the last, until about last October, for maybe two years before that, I've never been in that much fear in my entire life. And you heard about it. Yeah. You saw me. Well, I've and, never, and, and it was, it, a lot of it was financial fear that you'd never experienced before. And that's before. the thing is that it was a new kind of fear. Yeah. As much as I've had, you know, so much stuff happen in sobriety, that was one thing I never had to deal with. Yeah. 
Um, it, it was always you know, the amount of energy and effort I put in, I was getting back equal or greater. Right. Without fail. Right. And usually it was greater, not yeah. equal. And it, it was in, the, in those few years, the amount of whatever I was putting in, I was getting less than back, you <laughs> right, know? Right, And it was costing me a lot of money. And, I, you know, the, the I don't think anyone does well with, with uncertainty or, but it was affecting me in areas of my life that, A, had nothing to do with finances. Yeah. It had nothing to do with job stuff. But I was, like, reverting in on myself. I've, I've always, I think, been that person that, which you just spoke to, those years of me being uncomfortable, so I'm just go, 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 right? right. That was always my, yep. you know, kind of fight or flight yep. uh, response was like, just just push through it and just yep. move three times as fast yep. and it'll be okay. And, and this was paralyzing. Yeah. I, I, I was not reacting to it the same way. Well, and I think your relationship with money, right? Like your relationship with money was a big thing that didn't get addressed. And I and, didn't even know it was there. Right. And like, I think that that is so, all of us have a relationship with money, right? An emotional right. relationship with money, except maybe your dad, but right. I'm sure he does too. Um, yes <laughs> with no. his legal dad. Right. And when you, you know, when you feel like you're, you know, when you, you grow up and money is used as power right. and, and, and which it was custody and, yeah. you know, mom traded you for a car and, right. and, you know, it's all about that for a long right. time, but it's also always there. Right. Right. And so I think that dealing with that, dealing with how it relates, cause like for me, money affects all of my relationships yeah. and particularly my romantic relationships, right. but it affects all of my relationships. I had no idea. And there isn't enough money in the world for me to feel safe. I had to learn mm -hmm. that. I had to learn that. We had this conversation yeah. years ago. I remember. I, yeah. I, at one point I had plenty of money not to be scared. And I have never been more afraid of financial. Mm -hmm. Like, and I was like, oh, this is not, this is not that. Because for me, for me, and I right. think I like, maybe you relate to this was, because a dollar bill, right? Like it right. had a consistent currency. It was the, it was constant. Right. I knew what you could purchase. Right. I knew what, like I, it was always going to be the same. Right. And so you couldn't rely on people, right? right. People were changing, changing all at all times. You didn't know if they were going to show up, right. but you always knew that money could buy you a shelter, right? right? Or could buy you food or right. could buy. So it was like, it was safe. Right. Like by definition, it was not changing. Right. And so it was, it felt safer. Right. Right. Like I can rely, if I have $20, I can purchase or whatever. If I have a thousand dollars, I can go and stay somewhere for a couple right. nights. If I have you, I have no idea right. what I'm going to get. You could leave. You could, you say, could right. leave. I don't know what you're going to, I don't know if you're going to contribute. Like, well, that goes back to the control thing. Right. 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 But this total fear. And so I, you know, that was another thing LW was like, money is just energy. Yep. I, I remember that. And, and I was like, you're insane. Right. Like, that's an insane thought. Right. You're an insane human. Like, this is insane. But you're also right. <laughs> <laughs> but weirdly. Yeah. But I'll never, I mean, I that's still stuck in my head. Money is just energy. Right. And I was like, you're, he's like, it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes. And I was like, no, it literally, like I had put my faith in that even yeah. though it, it, it wasn't, it's not like I had a lot of it, but right. it, it didn't matter. Like no. it, I put my faith in that and turning that into like, you have to do enough work that you're willing to have relationships you put your faith in. hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's, I, I can bring it to present right now is, you know, I was on the phone. I'm really good at overall knowing, you know, as far as the higher power goes, like I, I grew up 
not religious, but we were taken to church and, you know, I, I think it was maybe to, for the custody battle, the purpose of the custody battle to make, you know, one parent yeah. look better than the other yeah. and more, more, more unstable yeah. and more. So I always had a resentment, but there was always something, even at that time, knowing that everything happens for a reason. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know. So there wasn't this like, you know, coming in here, I didn't have that issue. I yeah. knew, but you know, as a, as an idea, as a theory, that's how I felt. But in my day to day, yeah, I mean, the most stubborn, the most, so I can tell people like, oh, well, it's God's will. You know what I mean? You right. should just be doing God's will and right, right. don't get in the way and then turn around and like do something terrible yeah. in my own life. That right. was a, very much 100% my will. Right. It's fear. It's, it's hundred percent. You, so the lack of control. Yeah. <laughs> so much. <luck. laughs> oh my God. So um, and then I think back to like wanting to use as if I was in control then, right. but, but that's like the irony. Completely. So your, your relation, there were a couple things that happened in your sobriety, um, with your mom as the relationship, as right. that relationship deteriorated that caused you to like really be the adult. Right. And we talked a little bit about her mental illness in the beginning, how did that situation play out with she her? She really started to deteriorate after I got sober the last time. Like truly to the point where I didn't talk to her for five years. And that was a decision that I made, not alone, but I needed I needed it. I wasn't going to stay sober mm. if because it was incredibly volatile and it was incredibly blaming and it was incredible. I, I just, I needed a break from it. I had spent my entire life with it. And the more sober I got, the more I realized that, you know, it was a sickness, you know, I... I think for a long time made it about me, why she's so mean to me. And it's like, okay, right. no, there's, there's a sickness, but that doesn't mean that I can engage in it. It doesn't mean that it's healthy for me right now to engage in it. I don't have the tools to engage right. with her, so I'm just not going to do it. And so I had to take a step back and, and my family was very supportive because they knew they, they experienced it. Well, and it. she was hallucinating. Yeah. Like she, towards the end, she was fully, fully having crazy hallucinations and not to say she's a crazy person, but like I'm saying so, like they were, they so, were so elaborate, the hallucinations, hallucinations right? Or not. I don't know. She was diagnosed with cancer at one point and earlier, and you know, I think I'm jumping around a little bit, but at some point in my early sobriety, she was diagnosed with cancer and she's on a lot of medicine. Okay. And okay. Um, so medication, pain pills. I don't know. I don't know what yeah. she was taking. I don't know. Well, she at one point But had, something broke in her. Something snapped in her right, right, from right. that experience, I right. think. And something, she, I mean, she, at one point, you, she was like not in her house. She was living in her car. Yeah. Uh, electively, yeah. Electively living yeah. in her car and and you... With my little sister. And you took London. Yeah. So, so I, I ended up taking my little sister. I didn't take her. My mom took her, my sister's dad to court who really hadn't been... Early on, he was apart and then he wasn't. And my mom was like, you need to pick one and you pick to yeah. be away. And then all of a sudden he wanted to be back. And, and I don't say that lightly. I mean, yeah. you know, but... There was a point where my mom tried to take him to court and it ended up backfiring on her and she lost custody of my sister. And, and I was the, um, I had to go to court and testify, yeah. right? Probably the hardest day of my life. Mm. Uh, maybe the second, the, the hardest day came after when I had to go meet my sister at the police station and tell her she wasn't going back to my mom. And you she know? was upset about that. Her, uh, yes, because she was told that her father was just a bad guy, you know, oh. which is not the case. I need to make that very clear. Yeah. And, um, and she had to go live in a house with her dad who she barely knew and was told horrible things about. And her stepmom, who was an angel sent from heaven, this woman. And I think that was the reason that my sister was even like, you know, didn't try and run away then. Yeah. Um, and, and she had to go through it. I mean, it was uh, the so most heartbreaking yeah. day of my life where I know that she was resentful at me because I was the face right, you of had being to. pulled away. But so this, this little girl who is now not little anymore, she'll be 18 this year, is probably more... Uh, adjusted than anyone I know. 
who's lived a lifetime, right? right? right. Where the, the realizing my mom was sick happened really quick for her. Right. Oh, and realizing. Okay, so she really. Yeah. It took a while. It took a minute and, and to come around to her dad. And now they all have a great relationship. And my mom, the craziest thing that has happened in my sobriety, my mom was the kind of, you know, narcissist. And I'm putting that label on it. I'm not, again, not a doctor that it was never her fault. Nothing was ever her fault to the point where if you put a gun to my head, I would say there's never going to be a time where she will admit that she has had any part in anything that has happened to her, to us, any of it. And one day I got a call from my uncle that she said, I know I'm sick. I want to get help. Right. And as, that was a couple of years ago and yeah. she stuck to it. Right. And our relationship is constantly changing. And yeah. I didn't, I still didn't talk to her for yeah. I mean, cause the, another year, the last couple of years you've had some semblance of a relationship. Yes. And you know, when I first saw her, she had like Parkinson's symptoms. She couldn't, yeah, she couldn't talk. Um, like she couldn't yeah. form words or sentences. And, and I think for me as for our relationship was very volatile and it was very loud and it was very, you know, scream, you know, all of that. I think that was the only way that I could see her. Interesting. Like to lose the speech. Yeah. Like she physically couldn't fight me back, you know? Right. Um, and then over time, you know, with, with working with doctors and all of that, like she's gotten her speech back, but a lot of the anger has dissipated and she's in Al-Anon now. She's in what she had gone to before, but I think it was always as a weapon before, Mm -hmm. like, when are you going to give me my amends? When are you, you know, mm-hmm. she is in an eating. I think she's also, you know, in OA and um, for eating disorder stuff. She is heavily in therapy. She's like, she's really doing, she's medicated yeah. and and she's really making the effort to try and, 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 you know, I've gotten amends from her. And for us, it was a very like five minute thing mm-hmm. because who wants to go through a whole lifetime of stuff? We mm-hmm. both know what happened and we've left it at that right now. And if it needs to come out more, We'll talk about it more. And, you know, those are the things. I have a relationship with my father today. Well, and that's, and you didn't talk to your dad for a long time. No, I had to stop talking to my dad. I was, I was really hurt. I felt very judged all the time. So he, and he, he ended up, he and his wife ended up having children. Yes. Two of them. Two children. Two children. And, and um, they moved to Orange County and from Seattle, they moved to Orange County and and they built like a real family life, like a structured, very structured. Yes. And, you know, once I got sober again, I think, you know, there was no trust there on my dad's end. I don't blame him. Yeah. But I kept wanting this relationship out of thin air kind of, you know, Um, because I had pushed him away when I was a teenager. Like, and he's not about, he wasn't about it, you know. And so we stopped talking for the first few years of my sobriety. And then we started talking again. And, but I still felt judgment and I felt like, you know, and then it all kind of came to a head and we stopped, I, I stopped talking to him for a few years because I just felt like. It didn't feel safe for me. Yeah. Not that he did anything, but, you know, I also have to respect that he is the parent of two other children that, and I'm not a parent and I don't get to judge how he parents and what he sees. And it's all out of love, right? Yeah. But he did, he too had no coping skills and no communication skills. Decisions. He can make, you know, business decisions, communicate that. But when it's emotional stuff, none of us had tools. And so I had to back off for a few years and, and, you know, he started calling and, and I remember telling my therapist like, oh, he called again and, but I'm not calling him back. And she said, no, 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 that's and my, my therapist was sober, um, is sober like 40 something years. And she said, that's actually really punishing behavior to not, you know, in my head, I'm like, I'm not engaging, so I'm not making it worse. So it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, she's like, no, that's punishing. He's making an effort. That doesn't mean you have to be super, you know, try and, you know, forge this like super intense, you know, relationship right now, but you're being punishing by not 
you're holding the, the, the power, right? And you're liking it. And so anyway, I ended up sitting him down at one point. You know, I wasn't talking to my mom at the time. And I said, listen, I talked to him like an adult, you know? Um, he was so used to me. Anytime he would say anything, I'd just start crying like this overly emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who wants to deal with that all the time? No one, right? And I said, listen, the older I get, the more I want a family. Like, I, I'm, I'm respectful of the way you live your life. It might not be what I'm doing, but you're my parent and I would really like to make a go at this, you know, and we have, and it's been years and, and, you know, we talk about business stuff now. I I can call him about that. And, and I've, I heard somebody speak at a meeting recently that they never felt like they had anything to relate to their parent about and that the parent didn't, you know, relate to them. So they in turn tried to reach, like tried to see what the parent was interested in, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So this this girl was talking about her dad liked tennis and golf. So they would like watch tennis together and like slowly but surely they would, you know, they yeah. would build this, this relationship. Yeah. Um, and now they go on like a, to a, to whatever, a golf tournament every year together or ten- and like they have a real relationship, right? So like my dad, we talked about business. He, my dad likes to surf. So we talk about that. We talk about my little sisters and the gift, the one of the biggest gifts I will ever have gotten in sobriety. You know, I was told when I was a teenager, like, hopefully you can just have a glass of wine with, there, like, there was no education on that side of the family about alcoholism and drug addiction. It was, it was more like, why won't you just Pull get, get yeah. your shit together? You yeah. know, like, come on, you're embarrassing yourself and right. you're, you're really being a pain. But I got a call a couple of years ago that the oldest of my dad's daughters was, was, um, you know, being a teenager and kind of dabbling in things. And it seemed like it was kind of get going a little too far. And they called me and asked me for help. Wow. And to me, Forget the cash and prizes, forget the financial security, forget all of that. Like I was not someone that they would ever go to for advice. <laughs> right. Right. It, that's like, like putting the it, understatement yeah, of the century. Yeah, putting it lightly. And I I got to, you know, she didn't want to go to college. She didn't want to do this. She was like gonna go run. And I got to help them through it. And she's at a really incredible college in New York. And and has the, you know, the partying has really settled down, you yeah, know, yeah. to, to a normal amount, yeah. right? Because she's a teenager and that's what they do. And they asked me, do you think we should put her in rehab? And my answer was, no, I don't. I think that that will be a place where she learns. Yeah. Yeah. Things. She'll, she'll, she'll come out with like a, a PhD sponge, yeah, yeah. in heroin, you know, yeah, and yeah. no one needs that. So I don't know. I can't say enough. I, you know, I guess one of the last things I can say is like speaking to the last few years, the really, really brutal last few years, as scary as it was and still can be, you know, I'm not like, I'm a human. I have a pulse, so I'm going to worry about something, right? There has been this, the only change is there has been this feeling, this like, almost like a warmth in my stomach. Like, you know how you, that, that warmth you would get when you would drink Mm -hmm. and that it would go down and like warm your stomach. Yeah. yeah. That same kind of feeling that everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And then it will work out. You know, it, it never works out in the time frame I wanted to work oh, out in. No. Like that would be lovely. No. But um that has been my experience and and that doesn't mean that I don't fight against it. I was I was talking to a girlfriend the other day who was having some relationship issues or something or she was struggling with something. I don't know if they were having an issue, but yeah, she yeah. was having a hard time with something and she talked to somebody and they're basically like, "You're great." So, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. Right? And and the message she took from that was Maybe this relationship I'm in doesn't work out, but that just means that, you know, that the universe of my higher power, God has a bigger plan for me and I need yeah. to stop fighting against that. And I'm listening to the story and, you know, me going through my own personal stuff right now. I'm literally like, that's an amazing message. I'm like, 
for you. That's an amazing right, right, message. Right, right. Literally in my head, I heard it like, oh, that works so like that does. That, yeah. There's no way that can apply to me right now. Right, for my right. my situation is different. It's yeah. unique. And then later that night, I think, or the next morning, it hit me. I'm like, no, no, not that special. 100% that applies to me. And the second that I can remind myself like that I will strangle a situation to death. Mm-hmm. It is my way or no way at all. And you need to do it at the time I want you to do it. And you need to figure it all out when and how and why I need you to figure it all out. As long as all that happens, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> once that starts, once people start like, you know, exercising their own will. Oh, yeah. Forget about it. Yep. And it's just not my business to do that. It's not my place to do that. And it's been a couple days since that happened. And I've had like this whole new, just trusting the process. So hard. It's the hard, it's It's by far the hardest thing. It's so hard. And you stay long enough, you stay clean and sober long enough and you remember, right? Your brain, like you have, you make it habitual to like, oh yeah. And you, it's habitual to go to meetings, habitual to call people, habitual, like you create these habits that are kind of like your safeguards, but you have to, like, I I have to bump up against them to remember them. Like, it's not like, like I, it's not like I just remember them because yesterday I did it. Like, that's just, I don't, I, no, I need to be like paralyzed by pain. Oh, a hundred percent. In order to, I just think it's so funny after all these years that I was like, oh yeah, that works for you. That's a great message for you. Like that was the, that was the inner dialogue. And then I'm like, wait a second, what? I'm going through a similar thing she's talking about. Why in the world would that not apply to me? Because we don't, because this, I, there's a couple of reasons, right? Because the universe has a plan for you right. sounds insane. Yeah, hundred Yeah, totally. Like what? My scientific mind doesn't right, right. really yeah, appreciate like, that. I'm sorry. Be like, no, it doesn't. Right. right or whatever. And then like also like, okay, if that's true, like I'd like to see this right. plan. Like there's a lot of questions that come with Completely. that. And so that's part of why it's like, wow, that sounds like really nice. But like, obviously I don't believe right. that. For you. For you. <laughs> yeah. And then, and that's then great for you. I think what really changes over time is like the situations that you had with the guy who you paid back and like you get enough experiences and you live through enough things working out okay that you start to believe it because there's evidence of it. And that's like when people are like, well, I don't believe in the God thing. I don't da da da. And it's like, cool. You don't have to stick around for a little bit. Let it happen to you. The evidence will pile up that things are going to be okay. And I always think back to like, when has it not been okay? When has it not turned out okay? What situation? And like, it's always somehow yeah. turned and it out okay. Not always looks the way oh, no. I want it to look or oh, think it should no. look. And most of the time it doesn't. Yeah. It's when I hold on to that like idea of what I think things need to look like. And I shortchange myself every time, right? Yep. Um, I think that, you know, I, I have girls that I sponsor and women that I sponsor and like watching them go through, you know, relationship stuff, work stuff. I'm it's like, so do this easy and then to see it too. You know what the worst part is? They do it. They're listening to me and then I'm not doing it myself. Oh, I know. I called myself out the other day to a sponsee. I was like, um, I'm telling you to do all these things and I'm not doing them. So here's where I start doing it. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. And well, I'm also seeing the things I'm telling you to do work. Right. Which is so like, why wouldn't I? Because there's this resistance, yeah. like there's this inner resistance. Yep. Like this time I have going like, to be different. I have like well, I was diagnosed with um, oppositional defiance disorder and like ODD when I was a, when I was a teenager, which I think is so hysterical. Yeah, and very fitting. Yeah, and my dad always goes ODD, <laughs> um, but it's like. I just have to fight against it just on principle yeah. and then I'll do it, yeah. you know? Like totally. I just can't but bring myself. But the pain myself. of the fighting at this time in my life. I fight life. for much shorter. Yeah. Because it's too painful. <laughs> yeah, 
13. We're just too aware. I just, that's. I don't have the tolerance. I don't have any tolerance for pain anymore. I'm like a small, small baby and pain comes and I'm like, someone help me get out of my pain. The problem with. I mean, the difference between being a small baby and us is like we're adults and no one feels bad for us. Not at all. And we're <laughs> like, so annoying. I have to get up and go to work yeah, and, like, yeah. and pay bills. And yep. it's like, these are the hardest things in my life. You put an emergency in my life. You put like a, like a, you know, a massive I can fix volcano. 10 emergencies in yeah. an hour. Oh, I'm, I am Johnny yeah. on the spot. <laughs> yes. I got emergencies down yep. like you. You give me like I'm a glowing. Yeah, oh I'm yeah. In my oh, element. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm so in my element. Like I like any ambulance. I'm like I'm ready to go. Yep. What do you need? Yeah. And then like a day, like a normal day. Mm-hmm. The post office. I, oh. Forget about just like I still want to an extra when I talk about the insurance office. phone call. No, no, uh, no, you know, no, no, like no. Oh, like filing tax. Yeah. Like calling. Like I just I like fall apart. I'll I be, put things off for months. Oh. But to the point. Yeah. I mean. I can't tell you, and this is going on record, I can't tell yep. you how many times I have paid the late fee, which is significant. Every time. To me, the late fee is just part of the, <laughs> part of the fee. <laughs> the late fee on <laughs> is the, part of it. On my car registration, where it goes up like I had to pay $1,500. Oh, my like, God. Yes. Okay, so you— A couple months ago. I— literally was like, what is wrong? It's up there. And I'm like, I can't. I look at it, pass it, can't do it. Like, I have had to train myself. But that's the thing about being an alcoholic, like, that I don't see with other people quite to the degree, right. which is, like, it's the normal life living that is impossible for us. It's too much. It's... <laughs> I wish I could be here 12 and a half years later being like, well, yeah, it gets easier. Yeah, I don't know about no. that. I mean, I'm I'm not intoxicated, yeah. but I still, it's funny, those things that I put off, oh. it's like I'm addicted to the anxiety oh. Oh. of putting them off. Like that, what, what the anxiety, that anxiety does Well, I to tell me. myself it's going to be four hours and right. I don't have time. Yeah. Like, like when it's four minutes. For 100% four minutes. You don't even have to talk to a lady. No, no, person. It's, like, it's like a robot four minutes. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it, it's not even talking to someone. They're just like, hey, pay it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, I mean that you can scan your yeah. credit card. You literally don't even have to input anything. Yeah, exactly. Just do what we tell That's you. So crazy, but yeah, I mean it's the that is what the this thing. is a very expensive lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to learn. Yeah, yeah it's very. Like, Where did all the money go? Yeah. Oh yeah, to the late fees. Yeah, yeah, literally. That's, when I lived in LA, when I did my budget, yeah, I literally budgeted parking in park, parking yeah. tickets, and I put them as a charitable cons- <laughs> a charitable <laughs> contribution to the city. That's amazing. Because I was like, I 100% get at yeah. least two parking tickets a month. Yeah. So that's just, and I, did, I had a garage. So I, so like I didn't need to pay extra. So this was like, I was like, okay, so this is my version of like a garage fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, I couldn't figure oh, out the signs. Goodness. Yeah. I think, you know, it's like, a, it's just, it's you, you grow or you go. Like it's 100%. just, it's really that simple. Well, and the longer, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I feel like you will agree with this. The longer I stay sober, the more opportunities I have for grow or go. You know what I mean? They, they're oh. just closer together. Right. Oh. And I just might like, I like said, really like, would like to slow down on the opportunities. My tolerance, and and I'm an asshole. Sorry for the language. Like when I'm not taking care of myself, right. I'm not a nice person. Right. I'm just I, my default is like, and I you know can put a smile on it. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. You make know, it make pretty. it look good, but yeah. it's not nice. Yeah, it's not nice. And I'm relentless when I want to yeah. be. I'm sure you've yeah. heard that word before. Mm-hmm. I know your husband. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. No, I mean, I Ashley's for a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Relentless is a good one. But you know, I which has served us in other areas of our lives. But when we're not taking care of ourselves, it's not back out. The relentless doesn't go away. It's just directed. And it's either going to be directed in a positive way or it's going to be directed to find every fault of yours and let you know about it on a regular basis. Million percent. It's so (laughs) awful. It's just like down to the microscopic. What role has therapy? You talked about therapy. You've been in therapy, what, all of sobriety? No, no. No? So what I didn't mention before was, you know, when I was a teenager going to therapy, I had this therapist. And that's the time when, like, boys come into play Mm -hmm. and, like, you know, all this weird stuff and you're going through puberty and everything's awful. And I had a therapist that I started to finally open up to. And she ended up turning around and telling my family everything that, that was said so that um, for court purposes. You, oh, for And it bro- oh. it kind of broke me. Like, oh. I already had trust issues, and it took me, like, years to build up to this woman. Because right, she had to. And immediately. Well, she, she had to, but I think there was there was more to it than that. She didn't have to. I think there was extra incentive for her to sh- overshare. Mm. You think um, they paid her money? Yeah. And so, you know, for somebody who doesn't have any trust to begin oh, with, yeah. it was like, and I was like, I'm out. Therapy-wise, like, that's just a way to, like, you know, have things thrown in my face. And so it took me until my mom was diagnosed with cancer again. I mean, obviously I went through to treatment and all of that, but, like, to to actively as a... Seek it out. Yes, to seek it out. It took about... I was in a relationship at the time, and I think I found out my mom was diagnosed. And obviously everything that that comes with, which is we have a terrible relationship. There's so many feelings that I kind of shut down like a zombie. And I was in this relationship with this poor guy who finally, (laughs) like, six months later was like, you got to do something. Like I'm, I'm done dating a ghost, you know, <laughs> and um, which was valid. And I went yeah. to go see this therapist um, who was LW's therapist who oh, yeah. just helped me so much. Yeah, he did. And I saw him for a few years and then I ended up again getting a woman therapist and, and she 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 saved me. She's yeah. like, you know, I was able to be completely honest and, you know, and. Um, and she was sober as well. So like, yeah. there was that aspect that she understood. And I stopped going a few years ago. Not be, not for any reason other than other than it it felt like an okay time yeah, yeah, to like yeah. you know I feel like therapy is that thing that I'll go to forever it'll yeah. just come in spurts in totally. ways like if there's not something I'm actively working on yep I I'm lucky to have through therapy and through working the steps and through all that I have a lot of awareness about childhood yeah. stuff and that's not to say I know everything but like I know yeah. enough to be able to get through the day so I kind of took a break and you know unfortunately she's she's really sick right now and and I don't know I don't know what's gonna happen with that I actually want to go see her this week. Is it? I, I guess it might be close to the end, but so you know, there everyone can benefit from therapy. Yeah. And have I been thinking about maybe going back and going to therapy again? Yeah. So it's just a matter of finding. Yeah, right yeah, fit, yeah. You know, um, I'm a huge supporter of it. Um, I'm a huge supporter of it, like on my own, and I'm a huge supporter of it in a in a relationship situation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it has changed. I've been in a relationship where went to therapy to learn to communicate and effectively did that. Mm -hmm. Right. For me, I am like a, I need results kind of person. Mm -hmm. Right. I think a lot of us are, I need to know that I'm going to get, when I do X, I want Y to happen. Yeah. And I need to know that's going to happen. And so when I have, I have a history of that happening. You have the evidence. Yeah. Right. It's the evidence of believing that this can then again happen again. Yeah. So I've had great experiences with it. It's, it's really just a matter of how, you know, how little I want to lie to myself anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm tired. Like I'm just exhausted. Totally. It's exhausting. So I was like, yeah, yeah. life in itself is exhausting. So like to kind of carry on this, it's just easier. I'll say this. I, for years and years and then years into sobriety, it took me 
I don't know, I want to say almost 10 years, but probably maybe less than that to realize that I never fully committed myself to the program and worked all 12 steps because there was some deep seated fear in me that what if I do this and it doesn't work for me? Mm. You know, what if I'm unique? Because this is the last house on the block. I don't know where else to go. So what if I do this and I'm the person it doesn't work for? Right. You know, and again, that was never a conscious thought. And it didn't, I didn't have the thought until after I'd worked the steps numerous times. And it did in fact work for me. But it was always this like, I'm going to fail. So I don't want to try Yeah, kind of thing, you know, and I I can't live like that anymore. You know, it's just, why not try it? And that doesn't mean I'm not stubborn here and there. And that doesn't mean that I'm like, I I don't try and like come over the top as much as I, you know, from time to time. But overall it's like, no, I'm just not actually, I'm not that special. And thank God for that because then there's, then I can do what everyone else is doing to feel better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like this, this, now there's a a recipe and it produces and it works and yeah. And, and if you do it, you will get those results. And the nice thing about it for me is that I don't have to, I don't have to think, I don't have to like figure out how it's going to work. Right. That's the piece for me because I'm always going to, I'm always trying to figure out how it's going to work. Too tired for that at this point. And like, and now I'm like. Okay. I'm okay to know, yeah, to like, not know. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'll do the crazy, yeah. you know, the thing that sounds woo woo or crazy. I don't care. I'm going to say this is a sobriety podcast, but last year when I was really going through it, financially freaking out, my friend was like, do this 40 day meditation. Oh. And without even before, I'd be like, yeah, cute. Ha huh? Yeah. Cool. Bye. She gave me the book and the next morning I started it. Oh yeah. And I did it every day for 40 days. And I don't know if it's because of that or the timing was supposed yeah, to yeah. shift, but things shifted. I'm just, I'm not as willing to argue it anymore. Hey, totally. Because I don't have the energy. And I also know <laughs> yes. that when I, when I do finally do the thing, it usually yields results. Right. So why not just right. try it? I certainly don't lose anything. That's, right. that's kind of, you know, I'm 100%. certainly not losing anything. At the very least I'm meditating. For right. 15 minutes a day. Right, right. That is not going to hurt yeah. anyone around me. You know no, what I mean? Right, 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 right. It's not going to no take away from any downside. situation. Yeah, totally. yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming. For I me. love you very much. And I'm so grateful that you're sober and you shared all that. And I know that's good. This story is going to help a lot of people. Well, thank you. It's nice. It's, I, you know, people getting honest with me is what made me feel like I can open up and be honest. So if it even helps a single person, I'm so happy. It will. Thank you for listening to me ramble. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Lion Rock Recovery. Lion Rock provides online substance abuse counseling where clients can get help from the privacy of their own home. They are accredited by the Joint Commission and sessions are private, affordable, and user-friendly. Call their free helpline at 800 258 Six five five zero, or visit www.lionrockrecovery.com for more information.